It makes your skin crawl. Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak. It's Sunday, May 20th, 2012. Time for your Gitmo Nation Media Assassination, episode 410. This is No Agenda. Making up 50% of the G2 here at Camp Mofo in the capital of the Drone Star State, Austin Tejas. In the morning, everybody. I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, land of the lost envelopes, I'm John C. Dvorak. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill in the morning. <laughs> that was very announcerish of you. I like that. Yeah. I'm John C. Dvorak. <laughs> Yay. Well, there's so in no- the morning to you, Adam Curry, and all ships that see boots on the ground, subs in the water. Oh, in the morning to you, John C. Dvorak. No preamble, straight to the ITMs. Hello there, chat room. In the morning to all the human resources. Noagendastream.com, noagendachat.net, here to keep us honest. Keeping us honest as we do the show live. Keeping us, keeping us balanced. Keeping us fair and balanced and honest and all of that stuff. What's <laughs> going on outside there? I don't know. Uh- <laughs> Are these coconuts you uh, you have acquired? There's a horse coming up. <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> uh, hey, John, whatever you think, let me just assure you, there is no New World Order takeover going on. Nowhere. <laughs> oh, okay, good. <laughs> nothing whatsoever. Nothing to see here. There's nothing happening whatsoever. <laughs> However, I'm very concerned. Very, very concerned. Uh, from time to time, we hear the elites speak in code. All the time. Yeah. Well, but sometimes we catch it, and sometimes we understand well, we it. we miss most of it. We miss most it. of it, yeah. So uh, our president of the, these United States of Gimbo Nation, Obama, had uh, President Hollande, Hollande, over. Uh, and before they uh, uh, choppered off to Camp David, they had a little sit down. And uh, I was actually surprised because the president did not say, did not speak of our special uh, relationship, which he does with every other country in the world. But that was a little surprising. Maybe he's been listening to the show thinking, yeah, I should probably change that. But there was some code at the end of this sit down that uh, disturbed me. And I'd like you to try and help me decipher it. Are you ready? It. Here's the code. Uh, I, I was interested when I was reading uh, the president's biography that uh, he actually spent some time in the United States uh, in his youth uh, studying uh, American fast food. Uh, and uh, although he decided uh, to go into politics, uh, we'll be interested in his opinions of uh, uh Cheeseburgers in Chicago. Hmm. Okay. Cheeseburgers in Chicago. All right. So I'm thinking, what does that? By the mean? way, <laughs> do they have to? You know, this, this click, 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 click bull crap has got to go. You know, someone else said that you know these cameras actually do have mirrors. Yes, they do, and they do make some noise, but they don't make that much noise. They're very actually relatively quiet, and those mics are directional. So how's this working? Is it bouncing off the ceiling? Whatever the case is, either get new mics or this is done on purpose. Just to make it, uh, well, you know, it, it is an important part of the of the whole ambiance because you don't actually see the reporters. And by the way, they can just say, hey, no mirrored cameras. They could. No camera, you know, just you can't bring, just, we, we don't want this noise in the room. No mirrored cameras. <laughs> just bring your Instamatic. Can, no, there's plenty of high quality cameras that don't make all that racket. Right. Now, so the code word is cheeseburger. Let's listen to the reply for the code. 
and I would like to thank President Obama for the knowledge he has of my life before I uh, took office. I will say nothing against the cheeseburger. Uh huh. You say nothing against the cheeseburger. Okay. Okay. And uh, as to my own vehicle, the one I used to have until I took office. I hope that I will not have to use it in the right. <laughs> okay, so we've had Obama well, said... No, I didn't understand what she said. What, no, she, I, was ta- she was talking about his scooter. I, was, I couldn't cut that out. So wait a minute. So no, Obama may have been code too for all you know. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think the cheeseburger is code because he says, I can't wait for you to check out my cheeseburger. And in then, Chicago. In Chicago. And then he says, I will say nothing about the cheeseburger. And then Obama comes back and says... I just want to remember that uh, cheeseburgers go very well with French fries. Ah, cheeseburgers go well with French fries. I think Syria is coming down, John. <laughs> Syria. I was, like, I was thinking you're going to go in a million directions, but that is the last one that came to mind. And you know how I know Syria is going down? Let me get out of here. <laughs> Here's how I know that it's time for Syria to go down. This is the this is the absolute. The clearest signal of all. ...of Syrians have fled into neighboring Turkey to escape the brutal assault by forces of President Bashar al-Assad. Anderson Cooper joining us now from Hatay province, Turkey, just near the Syrian border. Ah, pooper on the scene. Aha, now we know what's going to happen. Pooper never goes anywhere unless something's taken place. Syria is go. Well, apparently, if yeah, if if yeah, that guy, <laughs> that guy, yeah, it's it's so obvious. That's what it, that's what it means. It's time to go. When poopers on the scene, you know what's going to happen. Well, I don't have any idea what the cheeseburger is actually a reference to. It. I don't think it's a reference specifically to Syria. I think it'd be a reference to a uh, a code name for a plan. And they would have to confirm it somehow because they couldn't get together to do it on the, on the slide without somebody listening in. They didn't have time. They didn't have time to like give the the thumbs up. So like cheeseburgers are good. Cheeseburgers are good. Yes, they are. They are very good. With, Cheeseburger flies at night. Cheeseburger flies at night. Okay, it's good to go. With French fries. Cheeseburger goes well with French fries. It means the French have agreed uh-huh. to the cheeseburger to this cheeseburger scheme. It's the cheeseburger conspiracy. It's so obvious what's going on here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, here we are, John, on the 20th day of uh, the month of May in the year 2012 of our Lord, uh, bringing you once again the actual real news as it is not portrayed on television sets, newspapers, or radio stations anywhere in the world. Or blogs, for that matter. Oh, you telling me. So what did you focus on? I mean, there was so much, so much happening uh, this uh, week. I was watching a lot of C-SPAN. Yeah, I got too. some interesting clips. Me Unfortunately, too. the reason I'm irked about this is we have to put one of the clips off until uh, which the one? Next show because I might have it. What, what, did you miss something? No, it's, it was about Chuck Colson had a whole bunch of congressmen came out and uh, and extolled the virtues of Chuck Colson, the Watergate bad guy who uh, went to jail on the, in the Nixon administration and then uh, uh, this was C-SPAN found, found two. Jesus. This was C-SPAN 2, actually. Found Jesus and then became a big uh, 
a preacher, essentially, even though without a church, mm-hmm. and went around and, and had, apparently the guy was always a brainiac, and he apparently had the touch. He might as well have been Werner Earhart, <laughs> the way he had manipulated these uh, congressmen and everybody else to believe that he was not a, a, a raving uh, uh, prick. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they had all these guys, all these con- all you could tell which congressmen were were suckered into this because they all came out and went did these long accolades about how great the guy is, and it's a shame that he was a bad guy at first, but you know he was redeemed. Did he go to jail? Yes, he was in jail for a long time. Oh, so I mean, that so, and that was interesting to you. This uh... well, what was interesting to me is if you play. Uh, let me look at the clips. Uh, the clip I think is what the what the WTF. Uh, there's three of them, yeah. and it's and it's the the one that should be played first, which is not the backstory, and it's not the part two. Okay, are you ready? Yeah, and, the- and I'll tell you why this got me because if you listen carefully, what he says, I just was kind of like flabbergasted by this one element of uh, information. Developed finally have guidelines that you have applied. It is in those principles of glorifying God that Mr. Colson really developed a presence that affected the world and affected my life significantly. He began to compel those of us attending this lecture series in this this House of Representatives in one of the rooms beneath us to compel us to enlist those around us, to be a light that shines out to others, to let our life be different, to let our lives be the equivalent of salt and light which are rubbed, so to speak, into the fabric of the American mindset so that those around us will know that they have embraced a lie. Put your hands on your iPod and feel the but power did you, what of did the Lord. I mean, was that just nonsense <laughs> that he's spewing there, this congressman on the floor of Congress? Here's the thing. That, I mean, if you listen to that last part of it, it says salt and lie yeah. or salt and something, and then you... I don't know what he even said. It was just gibberish. Fire and brimstone. Well, anyway, it was just ridiculously not, it was ridiculous nonsense. But what got me was that early on he says, and I don't have his name, but he's one of the congressmen from from uh, California who I should remember his name. Anyway, he, uh, and I think he was plastered. <laughs> Seriously. And, yeah. and so he says that the lecture series that Colson gave in Congress, in one of the special rooms down in the second, on the first floor, is what he says. Yeah. So, so, so he take this felon, who was just a bad actor in every way possible, and and a jailbird, and not that you shouldn't have some redemption, but I don't think they should give him a platform in Congress in Washington to propagandize these idiot representatives who are just, you know, looking for, I don't know what the hell they're looking for, but they're, 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 this is all taking place under the, under the, uh, roof of, of, of the house of representatives. It's unbelievable to me. Well, they put all other kinds of douchebags on the, in front of Congress. I saw nothing but the whole weekend. I saw idiots talking about how it's okay to throw but ba- this is a, bags this was over a lecture heads. series yeah. to members of Congress. Well, Anwar uh, Awalaki uh, lectured in uh, in the Pentagon. Uh, I don't see okay. the problem. This is well, this is par not, for the course. It is. I'm not saying it's not par for the course. It's just I, I find it extremely uh, uh, annoying that mm-hmm. this goes on, and then these guys brag about it with weird blather on the floor of Congress. It's mm-hmm. just um, just it's disappointing. 
No, the same guy. If you want to play the backstory, play the backstory clip. Uh, and this is what gets me up. This is how the kind of competence that we have with our congressman. See if you can find the factual error in this particular clip. I was interested to see that President Nixon was on TV and the camera zoomed in very close to him and he described that American soldiers were not in or around Cambodia, that that mission was not one that, that we as soldiers were fulfilling. Now, having just been in and out around Cambodia the entire day, that struck me unusual that a president would say things that were completely untrue that I knew to be untrue. In my heart, I began to believe that he could have said, I don't uh, think the American people have a right to know. He could have said it's secret, that's classified information. But he came out with the camera looking him square in the face and said we were not there. Now, maybe he did not know. I'll give that. But when I got back to the, the U.S. and uh, had found out about Watergate, that was beginning to unravel. Uh, the, uh, the idea of who to vote for in those 1972 elections was ever present on my mind. His opponent, there was no chance I would vote for him. His opponent was uh, Eugene McCarthy. I would not vote for there, but I ended up filling my ballot out that neither man is qualified or deserves this office and did not vote for president that year. Mm, I think I'm too young to answer this. But yeah, it, you probably are, it, but let's my, say this guy's uh, my age or more or less. Oh, old. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> more or less. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, it's like, let me just ask you, anybody out there, uh, you know, a rhetorical question. When exactly... Did Eugene McCarthy That's what run I thought for it was. president? Yeah, I thought it was going to be McCarthy because that didn't sound right. Wasn't McCarthy like Second World War time? No, no, no. That's, you're thinking of a different McCarthy. Oh. Uh, this was George McGovern that ran against uh, Nixon. Right, that right, right, right. And he beat and, him, right? McGovern, uh, McGovern beat him. Eugene McCarthy was the guy who was a he was an anti-war guy who started a, a kind of a movement within the Democrat Party, which ended up being stolen by Bobby Kennedy because it started to get take hold uh, against Nixon. And then uh, Kennedy was uh, killed. And yeah. then yeah, I heard uh, about you know, that. Things, this, this began around 69, I think, is when McCarthy first started cropping up. And. Um, Anyway, whatever the case, it was uh, it was Gene McCarthy never ran. The point is, is Gene McCarthy never ran for president. He was never on the ballot. So where is the what world is this guy living in? And he's on the floor of Congress representing a public. Well, why don't they stand up and object? Well, <laughs> I object to this abhorrent it's one behavior. Of those bogus things. You had a bunch <laughs> of drunken guys. They were all there at once uh, going on and on about Chuck yeah. Colson and, and, the, and our Lord. And it was uh, it was horrible. Well, um, I, too, was watching some C-SPAN. I'm not going to get into it just yet because, of course, we had the uh, continuing debate and the amendments discussion about the National Defense Authorization Act for 2013, even though we're still in the throes of actual legal battle about 2012, in particular, Section 1021, which makes it legal for the president to deem you a terrorist and throw a bag over your head and uh, throw you in jail for as long as uh, it takes. And just in time for all of this conversation, oh, we get, it's, it's beautiful. The meme fest of all meme fests come out. 
we have domestic terrorists in Chicago. And uh, this is beautiful because, you know, back and I, I grew up in Amsterdam and we'd have uh, squatters and then someone would throw a Molotov cocktail and they were anarchists. You know, they're no longer anarchists. Now you're a terrorist. Uh, and, and the guys didn't throw anything. There was an undercover, uh, they say cop, but I want to believe it's an FBI guy who infiltrated this group. So there's three guys. A fourth guy shows up and says, hey, I got a good idea. Here's some uh, here's some yeah. th- here's some throwing stars. Man. Yeah, the fourth man. Here's some throwing stars uh, and uh, some beer bottles of gasoline, and then they they're called terrorists. So listen to the meme fest that ABC News, the compromised ABC News, um, uh, puts out. And and I'll just have to ring the bell for each one of the memes. They're beautiful the way this has been planned. Terrorists. That's how law enforcement authorities in Chicago describe Brian Church, Jared Chase, and Brent Betterly. According to investigators, the men plan to hurl Molotov cocktails into four police stations, including this one, with one goal in mind, harm police officers. Defendant Church, at one point, asked his co-defendants if they had ever seen a cop on fire. After distracting the police investigators, Investigators say the men then plan to launch an attack on President Obama's campaign headquarters, Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel's home, and financial institutions in the downtown area. This plot, plot very clearly, plot. does not represent protest behavior. No. This is criminal behavior. They, they didn't do anything. Investigators they didn't do, it, right. they they didn't didn't do, do anything. Well, it sounds as like they blew up the, the, the financial district. They got Rahm Emanuel's house burnt to the ground. And they an did, attack on the president. An attack on the president. Everything. They did all this, Oh, but it gets right? better. It gets better. It gets better. An undercover police officer infiltrated the group infiltrated. and helped foil the plot. Foil the, trio the plot. traveled from Florida to... Sh- Florida. Ah, they're from Florida, too, John. They're Florida. You know, they're where they hate black people down there. That's Florida. Chicago to protest the NATO military summit, which begins tomorrow. According to court documents, they had amassed a small cache of weapons for the planned attack, including a mortar gun, swords, a hunting bow. Swords, Swords, a hunting bow. I'm walking through Chicago with my bow. What is it, the Hunger Games? And a sword. (laughs) And a throwing star. Throwing stars, knives with brass knuckles, and several beer bottles filled with gasoline. (laughs) The men were initially arrested in an overnight raid at a Chicago apartment building Wednesday. Now, listen to the... uh, I didn't really catch it until I heard her speak. Their uh, attorney, who looks like an actor, she's got her hair pulled back unnaturally. She's got glasses on, which don't look natural. She completely, to me, felt like an, like an actor in this script. Their attorneys argue the materials collected by police were being used to brew beer, not make bombs. It is part of a fear campaign to deter people from getting out to protest. The security planning and anxiety surrounding the meeting of world leaders in Chicago has been growing for months. Thousands of protesters are already in town, and even with the massive police presence, some are still concerned. It is alarming. Without a doubt, it is alarming. I love how they just put that in there. They just like just stick two chicks in there. It is alarming. Ariana Huffington. Now, investigators say the three men who were arrested are self-proclaimed anarchists and are part of the activist group Black Block. Ah, oh, the Black Block, John. Let's Black pull. Block. Let's pull that one out of the closet. The Black Block. This goes back to oh man, I think 1980. 
Yeah, the, the, the black bloc's a tactic for protests and marches whereby individuals wear black clothing, scarves, ski masks, motorcycle yeah. helmets with padding, <laughs> and other face-concealing items. The clothing is used to conceal marchers' identities, appear theoretically as one large unified mass. Developed uh, in 1980, in the 80s, by autonomists protesting squatter evictions, nu- uh, nuclear power, and restrictions on abortion, among other things. Yeah, but the black bloc was basically just... It goes back just, to the 90s, actually, with the w- anti-WTO demonstrations in Europe. I think it goes back even further. If, are you consulting the Book of Knowledge on this? I'm looking at it now, yeah. Yeah, I think it goes back to the Tactic 80s. Was there, well, here's another one. Tactic was developed in German origins. Mm-hmm. 1977 Brockdorf oh, demonstration. Go. So this is just the idea that you would put on a ski mask or uh, cover up your face. And now, you know, where did this come from? There's no organ. This is like anonymous. Yeah, the black block. Three guys and a, three <sighs> drunken guys and a cop. And that's black block. But the, but the timing is so phenomenally well done that we have the NDAA uh, part two, the 2013 version on uh, the floor of the House with the amendments being discussed, which I want to get into. But also, did you know that a federal judge has ruled against uh, or has ruled uh, Section 1021 of the current uh, uh, NDAA, which was signed into law under the dark of night on New Year's Eve, um, that uh, this federal judge has ruled that it is unconstitutional? No. You know, know do, you, do, you, do you know who Chris Hedges is? You've heard of him, haven't you? Yeah, Chris, Chris Hedges. Hedges. He's on TV all the time. Well, he's a uh, Chris Hedges is like a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Um, he's actually, you know, you'd think he's kind of a shill because he's like New York Times. Uh, he seems he has the he has the uh, demeanor of a shill. We've actually had clips from him before. He prattles off all this, you know, basic information. He, he, he paints a picture of, you know, conspiracies every which way. He's uh, very entertaining. He's, well, he shows up, a, he used to show up on Grit TV and would show up on Democracy Now! quite a bit. So he, um, he was on, I think, Russia Today, and here he is talking about this. Uh, he, he basically sued uh, the president and um, I guess the government. I'm not quite sure who he sued, but this federal judge says, yeah, this is completely unconstitutional. Have a listen. Well, it's huge uh, because it invalidates a law that uh, was, of course, signed uh, by the president on New Year's Eve and permitted the U.S. military uh, for, um, I mean, overturning about 200 years of domestic law to engage in domestic policing, to seize U.S. citizens, uh, to hold them in military facilities, including our offshore penal colonies to strip them of due process and to detain them in the language of section 1021 which is the section we challenged uh until the end of hostilities whenever that is and i guess in an age of permanent war uh, that's a really long time so um it is really really an important ruling very courageous ruling by uh, federal judge Catherine forrest she rejected all of the government's arguments um, and uh, the government now has 60 days in which they can appeal. Uh, that would take it to an appellate court, uh, or they can do what the uh, lawyers, Carl Mayer and Bruce Afron, have called on them to do, and that is to accept the injunction, which essentially kills off uh, uh, this provision. So 
this is pretty big, and uh, this was a part of the whole discussion on the floor of the House. And um, an amendment came in to basically, uh, you know, either really clarify or strike this whole part out. Uh, so it really cannot be an American citizen. And then Louis Gomert, who is Republican from, I'm not sure where he's from. Texas. Oh, of course, from Texas. He so gets, he's, he's a funny guy. Let me give a little background. Sure. We, you've heard him before on this. Everyone has heard his clips. He's got a distinctive accent. He's the guy who said uh, crap and trade, <laughs> you know, a clip from about two or three years ago. Uh-huh. And he has always got some uh, very interesting things to say. He's very much, he just hates the, the Democrats. He, by the way, was also one of these guys crying in his in his beer over the death of Chuck Colson oh. uh, at this at this drunk fest. Makes that sense. The Congress yeah, held. makes so sense. Makes sense. Um, So whether he hates the Democrats or not, he is all for black bagging American citizens and throwing them away. And, um, you know, we've been looking at the constitutionality of this. And it's it's an hour long uh, speech. It's in the show notes, 410.nashownotes.com. You can take a look at the whole thing. And he really starts off by saying journalists suck. You know, no one's done their homework. They're just copycatting. No one's really looking at the Constitution and, of course, we know that we have the Authorization of Use of Military Force, which was uh, uh, enacted by George W. Bush. And he takes it one step further and says Congress has the right to put any kind of tribunal into place we want. So we have, we have bankruptcy courts. So, you know, it's like you've got a bankruptcy problem. You're broke. We make up a court. You can go to that. They've got uh, these drug courts. So they can do anything they want. And here's how he rationalizes it. Well... They had failed to notice that in Article 1, Section 8 of our Constitution, it says the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, and it goes on down and says to constitute tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court. So, really, you could uh, arguably have a federal district court that is set up inferior to the Supreme Court under Article 1, Section 8, just as you could under Article 3. I know there's some that say, well, no, those are Article 3 courts. Well, Article 1, Section 8 really seems to indicate you could call them a federal district tribunal. You could could establish those inferior uh, courts under the Supreme Court under Article 1, Section 8. Congress is also immediately under that given the power, shall have the power, it says, to define and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the law of nations, to declare war, grant letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water. We got the power to make those rules of anybody who is captured on land or water, power to create the courts. We got the, the, the power, we shall have it, to establish uniform rules of nationalization. So he's basically saying, we have the power and we're going to do this. 
No, yeah, that's what he's saying. But what's he talking about? It's about the military, not about Congress. He's saying that they can put any type they of could, tribunal you know they into could place. Put a thing together. It still has you still have to deal with habeas corpus and the real you know the real deal that's in the Constitution. He, it's, but but that's not what NDAA is about. It's not. It's not saying well Congress should establish a a tribunal to find and you know just grab people off the streets and imprison them. It doesn't. It says the military is now. Uh, can do this when they feel like it. It's got nothing to do with Congress. What's he talking about? Well, this is exactly what he's talking about. He's trying to say that they have the power over the military and they can therefore authorize any type of tribunal, court, or anything they want under congressional authority. That's exactly what he's saying. But there's no tribunal involved. Where's the tri- What's the name of this tribunal and who's in it? Hey, why are you fighting me? And I'm, 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 I'm on your side. I'm on your side on this. <laughs> Come on. So I actually looked at all the amendments. Uh, I'll just run run through them really quickly. It was very cute to see Dennis Kucinich really try uh, to get an amendment passed through for this National Defense Authorization Act, which would prohibit the Joint Special Operations Command from conducting signature drone strikes against targets whose identity is not known. Sorry. Yeah. Now that didn't pass. That got struck no, down. No, we can't have anything like that. He got we like, should be able to just drone random people. He, oh wait, let's, what do we see here? Oh, there's somebody wearing red. You know, I hate red. That's a signature. Uh, amendment number two. Uh, notwithstanding any other provision of the law, information acquired by an unmanned aerial, this one passed, unmanned aerial vehicle operated by the Department of Defense may not be admitted in a federal court, state court, or court of a political subdivision of a state as evidence against a United States citizen, unless such information was obtained by such unmanned aerial vehicle pursuant to a court order. <laughs> so we, if we find it by accident, we won't use it. But we're going to go get a court order and do it. I like that. That just made me feel great. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, the, the, of course, there was one doozy, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to get to that in a second. But he, this was interesting. Uh, Amendment 38, they revised the 2013 discretionary spending limit. And I'm not sure if this is just for the military or if it's the entire... It, it's actually... They modified Section 251C of the Balanced Budget and Emergency Deficit Control Act, amended to read as follows. With respect to fiscal year 2013 for the discretionary category, what does that mean to you? Does that mean all, Black that, ops? all that Congress can spend or just... In I think it's probably for the military. By the way, we have to keep reminding ourselves that the military has refused... To audit themselves, we have no idea where any of this money's going. So, do you know how how much this discretionary category is in dollars? But I'm sure it's in the multi billions. One trillion forty seven billion dollars. It's a little higher than I thought. I had to count the the zeros. I'm like, this really says one trillion forty seven billion dollars in new budget authority. I thought we were trying to save money. Well, apparently not. <laughs> that could be a down. Who knows? And our, you know, then the wise old Congress has just given the military even more than Obama wanted to give them. And so, the, where's all this cost cutting? I mean, from the Republicans, it's terrible. So here is the uh, here's the one that said this is Amendment Forty Five, striking the line habeas corpus rights 
and changing it to rights unaffected. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but that sounds to me like they're pulling some fast stuff. Notification of detention of persons under authorization for use of military force. Not later than 48 hours after the date on which a person who is lawfully in the United States is detained pursuant to the authorization of use of military force. The president shall notify Congress of the detention of such person. So that'll just be like, we got that Curry, we got that Dvorak. Ah, thanks, Prez. All right. Uh, a person who is lawfully in the United States when detained, pursuant they'd, to... They'd say who? Yeah, just, well, hold on, hold on. You, you got... You, you got <laughs> so first of all, they, they give me your name, and it'll be alias uh, Smith and Jones. A person who is lawfully in the United States when detained, pursuant to the authorization for use of military force, shall be allowed to file an application for habeas corpus relief in appropriate district court, not later than 30 days after the date on which such person is placed in military custody. So, can I have a pen? Can I have a pen? <laughs> Here's a no piece of paper for you. <laughs> Here's a piece of paper. You can file this, and good luck to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, amendment number 47, and uh, this will come back later in the show, uh, relates to the law of the sea. And uh, I'm going to come back to that because that is about to go before the Senate to be ratified. And that's a very important point that we'll talk about later on uh, in today's program. Um, We will be removing brigade combat teams from Europe and turning them into a rotational force. Um, And this is to and this is all under NATO, uh, R-Forgen, A-R-F-O-R-G-E-N, to satisfy the commitments undertaken by the United States to Article 5 of the North Atlantic Treaty to address the current security environment in Europe and to contribute to the peace and stability in Europe. So just so all you people in Euroland know, we're coming there to keep the peace. No worries. (laughs) We're just going to come and keep the peace. Now, there's a whole bunch of anti-Russian stuff in the amendments. Amendment 50 passed. And um, with regards to uh, threat reduction and nuclear arms and the START treaty, uh, this is... It's been put on hold until Russia can commit and prove that it is, A, not providing direct or indirect support to the government of Syria's suppression of the Syrian people, is not transferring to Iran, North, uh, Iran, North Korea, and Syria equipment and technology that have the potential to make material contribution to the development of weapons of mass destruction, and funds plan to be obligated or exp- uh, expended for cooperative threat reduction activities with the Russian Federation. So... It's a big middle finger to Russia saying you've got to prove to us that that you're not doing anything tricky or we're not going to reduce our weaponry, which was a big Obama agenda item to reduce all that. Well, you know, we've talked about the Russian connection to this whole thing in Syria from the get go, mm-hmm. from the very beginning of the whole thing. And we've we've concluded what we've concluded was, of course, the whole thing was to benefit Russia in some way because they have the ports there. and there's, So we have to assume that, and everything calmed down, if you recall, until just recently. So it, 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 you have to assume that the Russians have somehow reneged on some backroom deal. Well, hello, uh, we got Putin back in. That's, that was the change. Putin came back in. Ooh, okay, everything changes. That's what it signifies to me. 
No, because Putin was doing these deals. I don't think Putin has anything. To, no. no, Putin was always so. running the place. So I'm not buying that. There's something Putin did no. or somebody did that was was violating what we were planning or what was the mess. The big plan was. The, oh, they the, messed up the plan. Right, right, right. Somebody messed up the plan. And right. now, OK, great. You guys want to play that way? You know, we, we so we're trying to be honest, honest, we're trying <laughs> to be straight up with you guys. And you pull this crap, whatever honest. it was. Honest. I'm honest, Abe. Amendment 52, very interesting. Um, the Defense Department will now is now obligated to use 25% renewable energy to include direct solar renewable energy. I found that to be uh, kind of bogative. What? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be charging their, their walkie-talkie batteries with solar panels in the desert? 25% it now has to be solar energy. Well, that's a scam of some mm-hmm. sort. And there's a limitation on military musical units, John. It's about time. Do you know how much money they're allowed to spend on military musical units? You want to talk, you want to talk about our military. How much money do you think has been appropriated to spend on military musical units? And I guess this is marching bands. And guys, give them all slide whistles. I say, how much money, John? How much money? Oh, I don't know, half a billion dollars. No, no, a little over two hundred million dollars. Okay, two hundred. It's not audited, so who cares? Then we have uh, Boko Haram. Those bands are good. (laughs) They are good. They were rolling in that big, uh, that big uh, space shuttle, and they had the band playing. Da da da. All this, they played everything, and they were just. It was hot. I wouldn't mind having an album of those songs. Okay. Well, and I think they should do more slide whistle. That's how they could save money. No tuba, just a slide whistle. Slide whistle. (laughs) Slide whistle. This is the uh, Navy slide whistle marching band. Ready? Uh, okay, uh, Boko Haram is now uh, formally a, a terrorist organization. The Boko Haram you know, guys. I liked them when they were doing whiter shade of pale <laughs> or whatever that was. Skip the light Fandango. I know. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the Niger- they were a good band. <laughs> the Boko Haram. That's the Nigerian organization officially titled "People Committed to the Propagation of the Prophet's Teachings and Jihad," commonly known as Boko Haram. Uh, so they're now officially a terrorist organization. Uh, there will be a requirement for the attorney general to investigate possible violations of federal law related to leaks of sensitive information. That's all about. Oh, this is about. Um, it's actually about the Mossad. And not later than 30 days after the day of the enactment of that attorney general shall, shall initiate an investigation into possible violations of federal law related to leaks of sensitive information involving the military intelligence and operational capabilities of the United States and Israel. So is that WikiLeaks, do you think? Is that what they're talking about there? Uh, probably. Anyway, then, the, the of course, the big kicker, which uh, which I've just been buzzing about, the Smith-Mund Modernization Act. Yeah, we blogged that one. Yeah, that's, this, that's is, like, this is inserted uh, into, it's a, it's a whole act inserted as an amendment, and it deals specifically with the dissemination, dissemination abroad of information about the United States. 
So the secretary and the broadcasting board of governors are authorized to use funds appropriated or otherwise made available for public diplomacy information programs, i.e. psychological warfare, to provide for the preparation, dissemination, and use of the information intended for foreign audiences abroad about the United States. So it's propaganda. This may include... Uh, press, publications, radio, motion pictures, the Internet, and other information media, including social media and through information centers, instructors, and other direct or indirect means of communication. So that, of course, is your techno experts, your information centers, instructors, and other direct means of communication. But the new beauty that has been added to this is uh, that should, here it is, uh, except this provided in paragraph two, the secretary and broadcast board of governors may, upon request uh, and reimbursement of the reasonable costs incurred in fulfilling such a request, make available in the United States motion pictures, films, video, audio, and other materials prepared for dissemination abroad or disseminated abroad pursuant to this act. And it does not matter if it is uh, bestowed upon the people of the United States. The only thing that this this is very funny. The only thing they want to make sure is if you are going to use propaganda in the United States against the American people, make sure you've paid your royalty rights. That's literally in here. That's the most important what? thing. Yeah. <laughs> Got to make sure. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. The archivist shall be the official custodian of the material and shall issue necessary regulations to assure that persons seeking its release in the United States have secured and paid for necessary United States rights and licenses and that all costs associated with the provision of the material by the archivist shall be paid by the person seeking its release in accordance with the paragraph. So it's, so it's okay to, to, to propagandize the American people. Just make sure you pay the royalties because otherwise SAG will get all pissed off. The royalties to who? To the actors. It, isn't this work for hire? What kind of propaganda are they going to create? Oh, they got unions. What are you talking about? We, we go after the Chinese for doing this. Hold on. Let's back up a minute. Okay. So the <laughs> government, this essentially what this is, this is a, and people should make no mistake about it. When, when they want to uh, get, take away that Munt, what's the name of that thing again? Uh, Munt, the bill. Oh, the, it's no, it's the Smith Munt Modernization Act. Modern, modernization Act, Act. 1948. Yeah. And, and it's also the Foreign Relations Authorization Act 1987, which reiterated the Smith Munt. That was, was to keep the original bill was to keep essentially uh, the government from getting... They were specifically afraid of the... Uh, Propaganda against the American people. But they were spe- specifically in those days, in 1948, they were specifically concerned that the uh, State Department in particular was filled with communists. Right. And they were going to communist communize the American public with, with rank propaganda, you know, promoting Russia. And uh, that, of course, is passing. We realize that we don't we shouldn't be propagandizing the American public anyways. It's, it's leading. You, we're supposed to be getting the, the government's supposed to protect us from stuff, not you not <laughs> make war on the public, which is essentially what is this is a war on the American public. Yes. I, I, there's no it, mistake about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just read the rule of construction just so you can hear the language. And this is what we do for you, by the way. Nothing in this section shall be construed to prohibit. The Department of State, i.e. Lucifer, Clippity-Clop, Hillary Clinton, or the Broadcasting Board of Governors, I haven't looked them up, from engaging in any medium or form of communication, either directly or indirectly, because the United States domestic audience is or may be thereby exposed to a program material or based on a presumptive of such exposure. 
Such material may be made available within the United States and disseminated when appropriate, pursuant to sections blah, 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 blah. Oh, here it is. Oh, this is even better. 502 and 1005 of the United States Information and Educational Exchange Act of 1948, except that nothing of this section may be construed to authorize Department of State or Broadcasting Board of Governors to disseminate within the United States any program material prepared for dissemination abroad on or before the effective date. So... Uh, you can't do it uh, until this has been enacted. Yeah, well, of course they... So let's, and let's, this was passed, of course. This, let's, uh, this let me amendment. go back to my question that I was trying to ask, sure. which is about the royalties. <laughs> Don't you love it? So what you're telling me is the following. The government pays for a piece of propaganda that they want to attack the American public. Yes, with. but when they get that, they get the rights for... But wait a uh, minute, let me finish. This is a government. All government creations like this are supposed to be public domain. Ah, no, I think you're. I think you're misunderstanding something. When they pay for the Bin Laden movie, or when they uh, give money to producers to create the uh, SEAL Team Six propaganda, or the Hurt Locker, and you can ask any military guy about the Hurt Locker. When they actually finance that through uh, front companies and however they do that, or maybe it's just through oh, yeah, well, information. That's different. So, th- well, that's what they're saying. And then they are, uh, get, when they um, uh, take those movies and uh, project them into the sand in Iraq and Iran and Syria and on the wall of Tahrir Square and God knows wherever else they, they put them out there and they get, you know, they release them on YouTube and put videos on the internet and, and Hillary's got her techno experts in the Arab Spring and sparking all that off. They have already purchased a license, but they don't have a license for the, for the United States. It's like a DVD region code. So they got to pay for the region code and they got to pay the unions because they are broadcasting. It's a very simple law. So George Clooney is going to be the richest man in show business. And they have to pay for it. And they're very, very clear about it. Okay. That's, well, how, we'll that's, how, that's how brazen Generally this is. Generally speaking, our government, uh, when it comes to... Uh, the, the good news is they, they suck at this. <laughs> <laughs> but, ser- but seriously, when is the last time you saw a movie that said made by the Defense Department? No, they don't do that anymore, John. That's what you... No, that was you, all during the war. And then, they, then this law got passed, so yeah. they stopped doing You're it. You're thinking, you know, is it World War II? Yeah, they used to make... Here at home, here at home, the women are wearing, uh, no longer wearing nylon stockings to save for parachutes. I mean, that was propaganda in World War II. These days, it's the herd locker. That's how it works. It's it's a completely different ball game. And they're just playing ball and making sure they pay their uh, their royalties, their rights and licenses. That's how insane this has become. It's totally insane. It's absolutely hilariously crazy. And battleship. I hope our listeners appreciate that uh, that they're getting a little more. I mean, in fact, I, I think they should definitely know that if the government's decided to go into the propaganda business and they they have all the money, they can you know pretty much take over the Huffington Post. They can, of course, if they haven't already, yeah, they really. can do all these things, and there'll be no outlet except for the two of us. And, <laughs> And there's probably one or two other guys. Oh, there's, some, there's a couple other guys. entertaining. No, they don't have slide whistles. Yeah. And they don't have slide whistles or they don't have horses. <laughs> By the way, I want to thank Sir Alan Bean for the uh, 
coconut horse thingy. Very nice. Hey, Although I, I haven't really gotten a... Uh, so the, so the way this program works is very simple. John uh, and I watch uh, all the boring crap. We read all the boring crap. I spent all day With yesterday. With a skeptical eye. Yes. I spent all day yesterday going. Through. And by the way, these amendments, it was not easy because they're not numbered in order. You have to go back and forth between three sheets and you have to see which one was passed, which one wasn't passed. And then you have to coordinate that with the C-SPAN videos. It's, it's, a, it's a complicated process. It, particularly for a disc jockey, to be quite honest, it's like it's not easy for me. I yeah, have a skewed perspective. So I had it works. smoke coming out of my ears. And the, with the other thing that's interesting about our show, I think, is that because the two of us don't have the exact same perspective, if one of us starts to go off the track, like you commonly will with uh, reality TV shows, the other <laughs> one can nudge the person back into reality, real reality. Yeah, yeah, right. Or if and, just- I, and I have been suckered into thinking. Yeah, I was I was very close to hooking you on that uh, on that idiot talking in Congress. The idiot talking in Congress. Yeah, the guy you started the whole show. I don't even know the guy's name. So boring. What's his name? Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, how. It no, works. I didn't want to play it. No, good. Well, so. let's thank some. We need to thank some producers instead of criticize me <laughs> or me. You criticize me first. Oh, that's because you know why? Because the Euro thing is coming up. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. The Euros, what is it called? The Eurozone show? What is it called? What do you mean the Eurozone? Eurovision. Oh, the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. Yeah. There's Why a- is that thing so popular? Uh, because it's a bonanza. It's a television ratings bonanza. Why? Well, why? Because it, 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 it enables people to get pissed off at their neighbors. Now, we'll get into that. It's it's like like the World Cup. Yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, Let's thank our producers who have uh, supported all this work that we're doing. Okay, well, we do have one, two, three, four, five uh, associate executives and one executive producer who actually came in uh, last uh, Thursday. Sir Gear, he's in Taiwan at the moment, uh, has uh, sent you, he he sent us $660, but he did it as a direct... uh, infusion into the bank account with the methodologies called bank transfers. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to donate it for the uh, 3rd of May, or for the 17th of May, which is Norwegian Constitution Day of 1814, which is something we failed to mention. Oh, I, 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 I'm a miss here. And then he says, even though the bloody Swedes kept their reign on us until 1905, where, when we became a free people... And by the way, the Norwegians are more free than the Swedes now because they are not in the EU. Mm. The Swedes and the Danes are, however, regarded as cousins, so no hard feelings at all. But we love our freedom and wonderful flag, as you can see in the picture from the traditional children's parade, never a military parade in Oslo. No EU on us, no EUR for us, as long as we keep pumping (laughs) oil. And it seems peak oil does not apply to this nation. (laughs) Together with my earlier 440, I should qualify for a second knighthood. I would like to donate it to my son, Dan, in Los Angeles, the brother of Sir Paul. Oh. The former artwork contributor, busy with finalizing his MBA in Shanghai. We have a lot of international. I was going to say, we are are bad and international. Yeah. So he'll be Sir Daft. (laughs) We have have him on the list yet. Let me just check and make sure it's as Sir Daft. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Buzzkill Jr. Yeah. Yeah. He's on the list. Good. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you, sir. Um. 
Carrie, now we have our associate executive producer, and the first one that came in was Carrie Schoen, and I have a little story to tell a little later about this. But Carrie, of course, is the jogger and in, in Deutschland. Oh, right. Who, she, uh, yeah, she runs with uh, uh, the, no agenda on her butt, right? No, AskForces.com, is, is, and she sent a photo. It's got a nice butt. <laughs> Wait a minute. And it says AskForces.com. I didn't get the photo. Oh, well, that's a shame. Uh, <laughs> is it on AskForces.com? What is this? A porn site? Oh, no, it, type it, it in. It goes to us. AskForces.com goes to no she agenda. She figured that putting AskForces.com on the hunter butt, as people were jogging, they'd go by and they'd say, well, that's interesting. I wonder what that <laughs> I wonder means. what that could type be. it in because it's more compelling than NoAgendaShow.com. <laughs> and it's shorter. It's well, that's, shorter. This is, a very, this is a very good idea. If you've got a sweet butt, put AskForces.com on it and just like Juicy. You know, these women walk around with yeah, what juicy is, What does that mean? I actually find it slightly disgusting that juicy. <laughs> juicy. You just imagine a bunch of juice. Ju- it just doesn't sound right. <laughs> juicy butt. Yes, this you is know, like, geez, lady. assforces.com. Send me the email over ass, will you? The picture. She sent it by mail. So oh. I drew a photo I have in my hand. Oh, you have it on the wall. I'll scan it in for you. Oh, cool. Anyway, she broke a bone in her own ass, she says. And the orthopedic <laughs> says no, uh, she couldn't do the, the Salzburg Marathon. Oh, no. And I thought she'd send the 10 bucks per mile anyway in order to finally complete her knighthood. She's now a dame. And I'd like to share a simple karma shot to the two of you. My husband, Stephen, and the guy who came up with the AskForces.com domain name forward. I wish uh, her luck on a speedy butt recovery. Oh, yes. Well, this is uh, towards... Uh, did, now, do you think her butt is in a cast? I, I apparently, I think it's, I guess, I didn't, well, maybe. I mean, I, no, I doubt it. <laughs> You've got karma. You just have to stay off it or sit on a on a, on a yeah. pillow or Easy you can't that run, ass. apparently. Don't tap it. Monica Lansing, Drayton uh, Valley, Alberta. Wow, two women in a row. Awesome. Squirrel! 267 cents, 7 cents saying, oh, well, by the way, Carrie also sent in 7 Sense literally five nickel and two pennies to tell us that mm. she doesn't like the uh slide whistle, but she thinks it should be defended. Okay, <laughs> I've been listening to you a few months now. I must say that this is a uh, Monica find you very entertaining. Felt sorry for your donations have been down as of late, so I'm doing my bit to help keep your ribs apart. Please send some good karma my way. Don't send the bad stuff. We only have good stuff for you, Monica. Here it is. You've got karma. Also lining up in the uh, associate executive producer uh, queue is Jean Neftuliev, Frisco, Texas. Uh, Podfather, he says to you, it's been five months, four days since my last donation. I'm living the American dream of just getting by. So after selling my Rolex, <laughs> I'll send you a portion of the sales, 20202. Please play the Atlas Shrug theme. Uh, Gene Naftuliev did a good job of pronouncing it last time. Do not read the rest on the air. Okay. Just, Let me just see what he says here. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, I'll see you next time you're around. All right, here it is. Atlas Shrugged. By Ayn Rand. I was, wearing my, uh, I was wearing my Atlas Shrugged t-shirt at the market yesterday. Yeah. And... Uh, I, at least four of the of the stall hall, you know the the stall guys, the the farmers, like, hey man, that's a good book. It's a good that's one. A, yeah, it's all about the elites taking over. It's, it's great. It's a good book, man. It's like it's happening now, man. I'm like, that's yeah. right, Farmer Chris. That's right, Andy. Andy, the bean sprout guy. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> no comment. Sir Pete from Amsterdam. Amsterdam, Colorado, if it says here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> P- uh, Pater Schnakes, right? Sir, Sir Pate. Yeah, Sir Pate. Although you guys turned me into a cranky, jaded crackpot, I'm pretty sure I also got to be cooler. Cracking down on oblivious marketing douchebags with cold heart analysis I picked up from the show seems to attract the ladies in a weird brainiac kind of way. Hey, oh, all right. Excellent. An observation, when I try to hook folks to the show, I found that a 2.5-hour show is a bit of a tall order. <laughs> Perhaps you or one of your producers can make an updated short what's-to-come show with some examples for new listeners. I mean, you know, we're, we're always trying to come up with something like that. But when we actually start talking, it goes to about two and a half hours. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. We actually just stop when we're tired. And that's about after two and a half hours is about as much as we can, as we can yeah, stand like, of each it's other. Like, uh, Carrie's uh, running. If maybe yeah. we had a butt breakdown, it would help. Kent O'Rourke, uh, Sir Kent O'Rourke to you, Frostburg, Maryland. Uh, just giving value for value donation, $200.07. The drunk readings of comments are on its own worth the donation. <laughs> yeah, they As are. always, thanks for putting on the best podcast in the universe. Can I get a shot of karma? <laughs> You've got karma. <laughs> And that is our producer, uh, associate producers, uh, executive producer for show uh, 410. Uh, you can go to Dvorak.org slash NA, channeldvorak.com slash NA, noagendashow.com or noagendanation.com and click on the donate button to help us continue <coughs> this suit. We appreciate it to an extreme. It keeps us going. Dvorak.org. Slash N-A. And there's a lot more show coming up for you. We've got uh, tons of government legislation. We've got all kinds of crazy crap on the way. For those of you for listening to the program for the first time, just uh, sit back, relax. And if you're not ready to make a value-for-value value donation yet, there's always something you can do. Highly important. Go out and propagate that formula. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. Lighten the mood for a second here, John. Um, so on uh, Thursday, we uh, received the sad news that Donna Summer had passed away at age 63. Um, I had uh, met with her, worked with her several times. Uh, she's actually incredibly nice. And um, one of our producers, uh, Dave King, he, if you ever listen to the, uh, particularly the 17-minute version of Love to Love You, Baby, there's this wicked-ass bass, bass line in there. That is uh, one of our No Agenda listeners, one of our producers from uh, uh, Gitmo Nation, Doucheland, and Dave King lives there and teaches. It's about at- time a bass player admitted to listening to the show. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have enough of them. We're finally getting chicks. Now we need more bass players. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm squirreling through the dial, and only MSNBC would be able to do this this report and and politicize the death of Donna Summer in a way that was so not only unbelievable, incredible, disgusting, but just like just blew my mind. I had to share it with you. Are you familiar with this guy Toure? Yeah, I am. This guy Toure, who uh, I guess yeah, uh, he wrote a book. Yeah. He's on MSNBC all the time. Yeah, and I think he was the guy that got in uh, 
Pierce Moron's face about uh, the the Trayvon thing. So he's, he's he's kind of an idiot, if you ask me. And it gives him like yeah, it started on MTV Two or whatever. Yeah, okay. So just listen to this report, and I and I, I cut out the the whole beginning part because yeah, it's sad. Disco Queen Donna Summer dead. Listen to what this guy does. I mean, Donna Summer had a big, lush, beautiful voice. She was there at the beginning of disco. One of the people who helped disco rise into prominence. It was a, sort of a New York and Philadelphia thing that became a global phenomenon. And uh, you know, she had an incredible song called "Love to Love You, Baby," which played for 17 minutes in the real, true, long version that they played in the clubs. And it, she approached it as if, she said, what would Marilyn Monroe do with this vocal? And she cooed and she sort of moaned. And, you know, in some clubs and some radio stations, they were afraid to play it because it was too suggestive and too sexual. But that was the nature of disco. That was the nature what of the time. Was this? He's, on, he's an idiot. And uh, it's sort of interesting to approach this story at this moment in politics because, of course, she's the queen of disco. And disco was all about um, gay exuberance and joy and having this culture that was sort of centered around yeah. the, that sort of cultural energy that they were all about. And I'd like to contest that, by the way. I'd like to contest that that's what, what dis- disco was about, coke. It was about Coke and about the music industry automating music. That's what it was about. It was not, and yeah, the gay culture gravitated towards it, but it wasn't just gay culture. Not in the early days, it wasn't gay. No, everyone. It was. It was just dance music. It was just yeah. An, it was another, just dance music no, during, and it, which no, is a cycle. No, no. He's gonna. I he, mean, listen, this is Lemon is is projecting in a funny not way. Not Lemon Toure. When we're done with this, I, I make sure we play a Lemon clip that I have to show you what what a giggling fool. Yeah, but this is Toure. Is. Is this Toure? He's not gay. Lemon is gay. Yes. Uh, Toure. Well, not- we don't know that for sure. Well, is do- Toure married? Yes, he is. He has. Does he a- have kids? Yes. His doesn't ki- mean a thing. His kid's name. Uh, his kid's name is Hendrix. This is the, what kind of an idiot this guy is. Oh, Hendrix. Hendrix. Okay. Oh yeah, this is a tribute to my my pal Jimmy. The guy's like thirty nine. Shut up. Now listen to how he's going to take this into the whole gay gate debate. And you know, I've never seen a movement in America to crush a musical genre in the way that this sort of almost organized anti disco movement ro- rose up and people wearing what? death to. Listen. T-shirts and really an attack on what Donna Summer and others were doing. And, you know, it was almost like, you know, get back in the closet. You can't have something for yourself. And- no, listen, Toure. The reason why we were wearing Death to Disco shirts is because it sucked. That's why. Not because we want gay people to get back in the closet. And this guy who doesn't stop. And it was, it, it reminds me of the discussion around marriage equality that you can't have this for yourself. You can't have equality. You can't be out and normalized in the public. You must be in the closet and, and. Oh, yeah. Is that why Modern Family has a gay couple, uh, with, who are trying to adopt a kid? Is that because the culture is like that, Toure? You asswipe? Quiet about what you love. So you think that disco ended because of a sort of a political reaction within the mu- music industry rather than an evolution into hip-hop, rap, and the other forms of music? It didn't evolve into hip-hop, you idiot. It, we had punk. Uh, let me think. Did we have the Sex Pistols, the Ramones? Uh, you know, this was the... It may, I could almost make the argument that it may have evolved into trance, 
or electronic. Not it, it was punk that came in. Punk came in. Yeah, but ska. punk came in, but it wasn't as as an evolution from disco. It wasn't it was an evolution. It was it was the revolution. Musical style. It was the revolution because we had the crazy seventies and everything was growing great, and then all of a sudden, boom, huge crisis, and particularly in the UK, and the 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 English people were angry and and thin and and walking around with pitchforks, and that's when we had God Save the Queen, and that started a whole counter revolution. It didn't go straight into hip hop. The only well, the other thing is, is that what? Do, well, are, we let, let, to, are we supposed let to be still listening to Twenty Three Skidoo? I mean, or, <laughs> or stuff from That's the a reference. Twenties or Thirties? I mean, all musical things come and go. But in, listen in to one what he says another. next. John. We're still not listening to the Beatles, are we? Listen, I hope not. I, I do. Listen to what he says next. Music that, that succeeded it. I think that's absolutely right. That there was absolutely a right. homophobic and a certain homophobic. There you go. What? Homophobic as an irrational fear of homosexuals. He's, so, so in other words, during this disco era, which by the way did become. T- the reason that I think it died, well, it became on. tiresome. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. Here's what. Here's the truth. It's boring after ten years of it. Here's what Toure says. An extent racist response racist. against disco, um, well, largely not just from the music industry, but from a large group of fans who wanted to proclaim uh, the resurgence of of white male power of rock and. Ah! If I see this guy, I'm going to strangle him. What do you mean this white male power rock? Crap. This Roll is- and punk. Almost, again, sort of a systematic, like, we're going to attack disco and push it back into the closet. What hip-hop did is... So basically... So now that what they're claiming... <laughs> let me just try to look at this, since I never heard this clip. They're claiming that the entire disco movement, which began in, the, I guess, the late 70s, if I'm not mistaken, or the oh, mid-70s. Oh, no, 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 early, with the, with early 70s. With those guys 70s. from Australia, the, the Bee Gees had a lot to do with it, uh, which was a white group, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> very, uh, very this white. This was all because everyone was gay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it, it was. Well, I, geez, I, I'm, I'm stunned by this. Because I you actually been to the, went to the Palladium a few times when I was in New York when they used to have the big. Giant I place. have pictures of you at Studio Fifty Four snorting the line. Yeah, and so uh, you'd go in there, and there was all these gorgeous women. I guess they were just a bunch of transsexuals. It, well, there were some, but yeah, the, the whole thing. But then to take it from this reminds me of how we want how our culture wants to put gay people back into the closet. That is a blatant lie. Yes, exactly the opposite. It is a blatant, blatant lie. G- gayness and, is everywhere, and it's groovy, and no one gives a crap. We just, just people like this guy, just want to propagate some kind of hatred, which is so unnecessary. This so is not helping. So, so I'm watching this stupid show, and he goes. They have a. They start talking about the uh, the transsexual beauty pageant. Oh, women, the Miss Universe. Canada. Yeah, yeah. And they go into this like little. Chat chatter is kind of giggly, and and then they have some dingbat ex beauty queen on there who says, "Well, she's a winner when she hasn't won anything." And 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 Lemon, I think, really shows his true colors here. He apparently always hated beauty pageants, which seems like something gay guys would like. And but play this this, and you can just see what it's just like. It makes your skin crawl. This <laughs> <laughs> search is amazing. People are afraid. The before, John, the they're just pictures? afraid. We want the before pictures. 
<laughs> Listen, she's a beautiful young lady. And, uh, you know, my thing is not about transgender people. It's just about beauty pageants. And, right. you know, Miss Requay has, has schooled me here. And now I am, I have evolved on the beauty pageant issue. Yes, absolutely. Right. And if Jenna gets nothing else out of this, she's a role model for transgender people everywhere. And um, she's already won in my eyes. Oh, oh. very nice. Thank you, guys. Oh. You know, uh, why is it? No wonder CNN has got those ratings you talked about. <laughs> yeah, with none, zero, there's zero <laughs> they, ratings. They're just one step away from the asterisk. It's, <laughs> they are, they are an asterisk. I think. Ah, that's just oh, wow. It just I'm like wow. This is a, no wonder people tune into our show. Some, few, Some, couple, a couple, enough, a couple. Sure and the ones that tune in have broken butts. It's like, <laughs> bring your degenerates to no agenda. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Our broken butt girl. Yeah. So I found uh, I found a lot of uh, interesting. Someone sent me this clip from CBS. I have a feeling this producer actually works at CBS. We have a couple, you know, we've got a lot of people who work in video production. And uh, this is, let me just get the guy's name. Because when I found out who he worked for, and then I looked into this outfit, it was another one of these 5013C companies, <clears throat> 501C3, sorry, not four, but three, which means you don't have to disclose your donors. Uh, but the, the, this was the biggest Form 990 I've ever read, which is uh, uh, required by the um, uh, by the IRS. This guy's name is M. San, Sanjayan, M. Sanjayan is a chief scientist. I'm not going to tell the organization yet, but just listen to, and you remember we read the IPCC report about how to manage risk uh, to influence adaptation of climate change, right? So in other words... Well, I think that there was some, it was how to manage a crisis. It was how to crisis. take a crisis yeah. and use it to leverage uh, people going, uh, buying all in, uh, pushing all in on uh, climate change uh, 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 what's it? Script. Yes. So this guy uh, took the script and made this piece on CBS, which is just unbelievable. All felt it firsthand. Each and every one of our 50 states hit a new record high temperature in the past 12 months. If you were born after 1985, you've never known what normal is because the last 326 months have been consistently warmer than the 20th century global average. Now, I'm sorry, but I'm just not going to buy this. But OK, we'll we'll float with you for a second here. But you don't know what normal is. This is a very propagandistic thing to say. You have, in short, been living on a planet with a fever. <laughs> I got a fever. I got a fever and my planet needs more cowbell. Whether or not we understand or accept the science of climate change science. is now almost immaterial. Oh. We're no longer talking about change to our planet at some distant time or in some faraway place, but change that is happening right here, right now, in our own backyards. In Texas, after enduring months of drought, many ranchers are simply getting out. They're quietly sending their cattle north. You should see the pictures of this. He, it literally shows guys like herding cattle up the road. Over a million head of cattle have been sent out of the state. They've been trucked to greener, wetter, cooler pastures in northern states like Montana and Nebraska. These cows won't be back. In our cities, often heat traps in summer. <laughs> yeah. The vulnerable and the elderly suffer the most. 
So, so first he's talking about America. Now he's going to move over just in, and bring Europe into it. In Europe, just a few years ago, over 70,000 people died, many in France, during one long, unbelievably hot summer. Because they didn't have air conditioning. That's why. Hold on a second. What is this you're playing? This is a CBS News report. It's going on forever. A news reports are supposed to be like 30 seconds. Well, it's a package, and when you find out who's behind it, you'll understand how, uh, the, how this, this was. They just took a, you know, is, this, is this network? This is network. Yeah, this is this is big You're time network. CBSnews.com, big time it's network. Already way beyond the, the limit would uh, package limits as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but wait until you hear how this was paid for. So, so uh, now he's bringing in uh and this was 7 years ago I think when we had that heat wave in Europe. He conveniently forgets the people who died in the freezing cold in the UK for the past 4 years. But okay, we'll let you slide. While these cities had plans for natural disasters, Few had thought about direct heat, and the citizens and government officials were just simply caught off guard. Oh. Now, the insurance industry does not have to be convinced that the change in climate is real. They virtually all have strategy groups inside their companies that are assessing the risk of climate change. Mm. More violent and frequent storms, floods, and rising sea levels are at the very top of their list. Rising sea levels. State Farm won't sell insurance in Florida. Many companies are just reluctant to insure coastal properties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that leaves the government and the taxpayer to foot the bill. By the way, that's an outrageous comment. That, that's where the danger comes in. And you'll hear uh, Obama say this later on in the show. He's saying because insurance companies won't insure it because, yeah, of hurricanes, um, the taxpayer has to foot the bill. I think I f- constitutionally disagree with that statement. Look, when my insurance agent worries about something bad happening, it's probably time for me to be worried as well. Climate change is no longer an issue for the future. This is our society's sink or swim moment. The science is in! Science! So this guy is a chief scientist. You ready for it? Okay. At the Nature Conservancy. Are you familiar with the Nature Conservancy? No, but I will be shortly. Oh, my goodness. So this is nature.org. And I've seen many um, articles from nature.org. I had no idea. Do you know how much money they have as reported in in 2011? More than we're making. $5 billion. This nice. is a this is a nonprofit with five billion dollars. Their total income. Well, they're getting it more from just nickels and dimes from the public, then. Oh yeah, their total income for 2011 was 997 million dollars, almost a billion dollars, of which 653 million is from grants. A lot of it, in fact, our government. Um, receive gives them 150 million, 149 million dollars. But if you look at their form 990, and just go to nature.org, look at their board of directors. You'll see these the board the board of directors all making three four hundred thousand dollars a year. <coughs> the CEO, the president, and everybody. Uh, the way this to me this is the biggest lobbying organization that I've ever seen. Uh, except they're a nonprofit. And they get money from universities, from land trusts, just from, and they own land. This, I had never, I had no idea about these guys. Five billion dollars. 
and you just you just look at where all the money is coming from. If it, it, it's mind boggling, their salaries for 2011, 271 million dollars they paid in salaries alone. That's what they paid out. Yeah, you don't need to be a profitable company if you just want to score money. Director and President Mark Tursek makes $493,000 a year. Um, I mean, everyone's making two to three hundred grand, even the acting chief philanthropy officer. It's just crazy. Um, and then they have, uh, here's what they paid to uh, outside consultants. Marge Whitman, I see, is oh, on yeah. here. Maggie's there. Uh, Cornerstone Partners, they paid them $2 million to manage their uh, investments. Donor Services Group, $1.4 million. Coastal Environments, Inc. I mean, I, I didn't have enough time in the day to look at all of these these organizations uh, that they that are involved with this. This is huge. Now, what they paid out, they only paid out $118 million. On their fundraising events, so they you know they get grants, but they also do fundraising events. They uh, lost half a million dollars on their fundraising events because it was basically just parties. So they had uh, gross receipts two million, less charitable contributions, and then the actual expenses minus five hundred and two thousand dollars, five hundred to nine hundred fifteen dollars. And then you just see where all this money comes from. World Wildlife Fund gives them seven hundred and seventy million dollars. Uh, Arizona Land and Water Trust. Uh, this has got to be a huge, and they they spend money on lobbyists. It's it's just I'd never I mean, nature dot org. I mean I read articles from them all the time. I didn't know that this was a huge propaganda machine. Five billion dollars. They've got hedges. Morgan Stanley does their hedge fund. Uh, doesn't say how much. And, of course, uh, except for the uh, grants from universities, all the universities give money to them. There's no, no names of donors. And these are the people now propagating their formula, M. Sanjivan. So when you figure, you see, you know, they got to be buying commercials. I mean, this is bought and paid for. So that was a, a package on, on CBS. Yes. Huh. And uh, I have the form 990 from this outfit in the show notes, 410.nashownotes.com if you want to take yeah, a look at it. Yeah, that's the only way you get anything out of this. The Science Conservation by Design, the Science Council <laughs> is theirs. Our Science Conservancy's board membership includes several highly regarded scientists, I would hope. <laughs> well, like this guy. Well, I don't see him listed. The no, Science no, Council members are John Rodriguez, no, you gotta, Venezuelan he's in Venezuelan Institute. The, he's in the Forum 990. I think he makes uh, $230,000 a year. Gretchen Daly at Stanford? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Stanford gives uh, a couple hundred grand a year. How can they not give it to their students? <laughs> no, they're taking it from their students. Don't you understand? <laughs> they have no money because they're giving it to these guys. $5 billion they've got. Five billion dollars. Hmm. And, and look at the board. It's all Goldman Sachs, Morgan, Morgan, JP Morgan Chase. It's all bankers. This is a big banker ripoff. 
totally. Yeah. But really well done. Uh, and it's all under nature.org. It sounds so groovy. Oh. Habitats, regions, urgent issues. Yeah. Urgent issues. They, they, they spent some money for this website. This is not a slouch of a website. It has no. loaded yeah. with stuff and great pictures. There's a picture on urgent issues of a bunch of people moving mud. <laughs> Old line of them, dummies. Hey, man, moving moving mud is good because you can make cakes out of that in Haiti. That's what they eat, mud cakes. One of their things is migratory birds are a priceless part of our heritage. They are beautiful. They reflect the health of our environment, and they are economically important. Preserving and protecting bird habitat has always been a core part of the Conservancy's <laughs> mission. Really? <laughs> And uh, you know who else gives, a, them, gives them money? Some duck blinds in Fairfield? What I mean, what are you talking about? No, ducks.org gives them money, too. Ducks.org gives them 75000 a year. Ducks. Really? Ducks.org, yeah. Another, this is just a money sink. What, how are people getting suckered into giving them money? Well, it's, all, it's, it's our taxes are paying for a large portion of it. Well, not in comparison, but I think it's... There's somebody here that's a salesperson that is... That is just, it would be worth protégéing yourself toward. I mean, the guy's got to be a genius. It's got to be one, and, it's, and he's, it won't be the top guy. It'll be one of the guys just underneath. There's it's always a, the case. There's a couple of geniuses on there. It's a big drinking club, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they spend, yeah you they, can tell by the money. They spend half a million on, on the parties. Oh, they spend more, but they lost half a million on the parties. Right, so they got to be spending tons of money on the parties. So the parties up. are great. Yeah, just booze. No, this has got to be a great club to be late. in. Yeah. And guess what? We're not in it. No. 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 And after this report, we will never be in it. <laughs> you think? But we'll keep an eye on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So these nature.org, $5 billion. That was very surprising to me. Like, wow. As a nonprofit tax exempt charitable organization under Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code. So when you give them money, you get a tax write off. Yep. And they get to drink better stuff. I'm sure they're drinking the good stuff already. That's why we belong there. Ah, we know. No, no, no invites. No, no invites for us. We're, <laughs> off, we're off the list. Well, let's see what we got. Uh, so I'm watching the BBC. And I watched this one little segment, and it, it's talking about and the reason that I, I think of this now is because after talking about this great scam, there is, of course, one of the greatest scams that we've ever seen or witnessed, and something we should all be inspired by, the which is the Olympic yeah. bull crap. Of course. <laughs> so they brought the they brought the, the 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 fire, the flame, the eternal flame, the thing we should all bow down to, get on our knees and pray to, into <laughs> England. And the BBC has this report. I'd be lighting my, my, my doobie with it. Out of a gloomy sky, a golden delivery. Golden. After all the talk, the grand plans, and of course the money, London's Olympic moment had at last arrived. Hundreds had come to greet British Airways Flight 2012 at Caldrose Royal Naval Base in Cornwall this evening and its very special cargo. When it eventually emerged, held tightly by the Princess Royal, it didn't look very much. But there, inside this little hurricane lamp, was the Olympic flame. Only really when the torch comes into your possession and actually gets here that you really realise this is it. <laughs> All eyes then switched to sporting royalty for the lighting of the cauldron 
which marks the start of London's 70-day torch relay tomorrow. This has been 10 years in the making and the start of the 70-day countdown. And the flame is here, finally, the flame is here. soil. The flame is here. <laughs> For the trip from Athens, the flame and its three backups were fitted into safety cradles with VIP treatment all the way. This is what a crock of crap, this stupid flame, which has gone out numerous times. Oh, yeah. We know that for yeah. a fact. The high priestess, as they call and her, let it go out. as if it was like given to us from the Greek, the gods of the Greek, Greek and Roman era. And this flame has always been lit and it's, it's some magical thing. And it goes from person to person to person. And, and now it's in these little bitty, they had it in a little bitty piece of shit thing. <laughs> like a, like a, it looked like a Ronson like lighter is inside there. <laughs> like, like one of those uh, smelly candles. It's like a little bitty thing. And so they, when she comes out, she's now I understand. And it's all religious. It's all so religious. It's all, it's almost well, sickening. Satanic, so satanic a, religion. Right. A violation of the Ten Commandments. This is nothing more than idolatry of a flame. The whole thing is just, re, it's, it's sickening that people are this much into this and they, they go along with it. And oh, they got their medals and they go perform for free. You know, oh, I'm a performer. I'm going to run real fast. And, you know, I'm going to do spend a month, months and months of my life or my whole life for that matter to get into these Olympics. It's, it is huh. such it's such a bogus operation. And the people that run it are assholes. Oh, total. The, the IOC are elitist pricks. So you know that the, 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 uh, one of the Olympic torches went up for sale on eBay. Did you know that? Well, it was one, no, I didn't know that. Yes. But it's what one of the torches they, they hold. You know, I was in Texas one year when there was Olympics here in the country. Yeah. And, there, and I just happened to be in Dallas where there was a torch, I guess, was going to go running by. Because I'm driving around and typically, I don't know why, why I do this, but every time I see a huge crowd gathering, I, I park and go find out what's the deal. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of people You're standing You're an ambulance around. chaser is what you are. Yeah. And there wasn't that many people, but there was a number of them. They're standing on both sides of the street and they said... I asked one of them, what's the, uh, what's going on? He says, oh, there's a, the Olympic torch is coming by. I said, oh, okay. So I stood there and watched and some idiot runs by in the jogging pants <laughs> with a thing holding this stupid torch and he runs by down the block and takes a right. And that was that. And I'm thinking, this is the st- stupidest thing to wait around for. Who cares? Yeah, there are uh, 8,000 of these torches because a whole bunch of people get to hold it for a second. But you, you get your own torch and you get to keep the torch. And... Uh, this is the uh, the Guardian writing this. Olympic torch up for sale on eBay hours after it arrives in the UK. It's so, this is so awesome. Eh, 495 pounds for an Olympic torch. But yeah. along these lines. Made in China. Someone sent me this, uh, one of our producers, uh, and it relates to the Olympics. This is the, um, from the Rockefeller Foundation. And it's a pamphlet, and I have the PDF in the show notes, Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development. And um, this is kind of like, and the reason why it was sent to me, of course, was, you know, when you have these, these papers, like, what did we have, the Project for a New American Century, where it literally in the document said, you know, we could have planes flying into the World, uh, World Trade Center? You know right. this, right? You know yeah. this, right? Okay. So... It, let me just give you a couple of highlights and then we'll get, get to the punchline of this. Uh, the Rockefeller Foundation believes that in order to understand the many ways in which technology will impact international development in the future, we must first broaden and deepen our individual and collective understanding of the range of possibilities. 
Their support and the project upon which it is based is one attempt to do that. We share the outputs and insights from a year-long project, year-long, undertaken by the Rockefeller Foundation and the Global Business Network, designed to explore the role of technology in international development and scenario planning. So they have four basic scenarios of the future. So they're looking into the future. Uh, The scenarios are lockstep, um, a world of tighter top-down government control and more authoritarian leadership with limited innovation and growing citizen pushback. They have hack attack, an economically unstable and shock-prone world in which governments weaken, criminals thrive, and dangerous innovations emerge. They have clever together, a world in which highly coordinated and successful strategies emerge for addressing both urgent and entrenched worldwide issues, which of course is what they're pushing. And they have smart scramble, an economically depressed world in which individuals and communities develop localized makeshift solutions to a growing set of problems, which is probably the most likely, if you ask me. But then I'm reading through these uh, different scenarios, and they're saying all these things that can happen. Uh, So let's, uh, here's their... uh, these are smart people, right? The Rockefeller Foundation. They are looking into the future, John. They spent yeah. a year. So under the lockstep scenario, here's what will happen. In 2012, the pandemic that the world had been anticipating for years finally hit. Unlike 2009's H1N1, this new influenza strain, originating from wild geese, was extremely vir- virulent. Virulent, yeah. Vir- virulent. 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 And deadly. Even the most pandemic-prepared nations were quickly overwhelmed when the virus streaked around the world, infecting nearly 20% of the global population and killing 8 million in just seven months, the majority of them healthy young adults. The pandemic also had a deadly effect on on economies. International mobility of both people and goods screeched to a halt, debilitating industries like tourism and breaking global supply chains. So that's not a nice scenario. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Clever Together. The recession of 2008-2010 did not turn into the decades-long economic slide that many had feared. In fact, quite the opposite. Strong global growth returned in force with the world headed once again towards the demographic and economic projections forecasted before the downturn. Oh, yeah, that's playing out. India and China were on track to see their middle classes explode to one billion by 2020. Megacities like Sao Paulo and Jakarta expanded at a blistering pace as millions poured in from rural areas. This is Agenda 21 stuff. Countries raced to industrialize by whatever means necessary. The global marketplace bustled. Okay. Oh, brother. Let's go to wow. the they next sure scenario. Missed out on that one. So then we have the smart scramble. Dude, wait, wait. Before you go on, and I do enjoy these. Yes. Is there the scenario where the 2008 thing crashed and then it crashed again and then it, we went into a depression that lasted until 2020? Yeah, here's the smart scramble. This is uh, what I think is probably what we're on track for. The global recession that started in, two, in 2008 did not trail off in 2010, but dragged onward. Vig- vigorous attempts to jumpstart markets and economies didn't work, or at least not fast enough, to reverse the steady downward pull. The combined private and public debt burden hanging over the developed world continued to depress economic activity, both there and in developed countries with economies dependent on exporting to formerly rich markets. Without the ability to boost economic activity, many countries saw their debts deepen and civil unrest and crime rates climb. The United States, too, lost much of its presence and credibility on the international stage due to deepening debt, debilitating markets, and a distracted government. 
This in turn led to the fracturing or decoupling of many international collaborations started by or reliant on the U.S. continued strength. And that goes on and on. But here's the one. Here's the one that just might play out. Remember now, sometimes these guys, some will say they put it in there just to mess with you. Say, (laughs) we're going to put the plan out there. (laughs) Here's the plan. This is the scenario hack attack. Devastating shocks like September 11th, the Southeast Asian tsunami of 2004, and the 2010 Haiti earthquake had certainly primed the world for sudden disasters. But no one was prepared for a world in which large-scale catastrophes would occur with such breathtaking frequency. The years 2010 to 2020 were dubbed the Doom Decade for good reason. The 2012 Olympic bombing, which killed 13,000, was followed closely by an earthquake in Indonesia killing 40,000, a tsunami that almost wiped out Nicaragua, and the onset of the West China famine caused by a -a once-in-a-millennium drought linked to climate change. No! (laughs) They had to get that. So there you go. Are you going to be one of the 13,000 to die in the 2012 Olympic bombing? No, I'd stay away. I'm not going now. I, I, I had plans. I'm staying far, far away. How, how crazy are these guys? I don't know. I'd like to see. I mean, it'd be interesting to see. If there was a 2000, it's, a, it's just ludicrous. I mean, they got that. Uh, never mind. <laughs> how that awesome is annoying. It? It's not just annoying. It's frightening. These people put that out there. I'd say. If, if something happens then uh, Rockefellers are behind it. Yeah, that would be my guess. I'd say it. There's a that reminds me of a today's Sunday business page of the New York Times. I normally don't go into it, but they have this huge top-of-the-fold giant illustration, and I just looked at this and said, what, what, is the, what, why are, what is the message here? It's a big, giant headline and a big, giant illustration taking up the whole top-of-the-fold of the first page of the Sunday business section that says, is insider trading part of the fabric? <laughs> is it? Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that the New York Times people themselves are insider trading, knowing that the paper is going to be sold in the next uh, few months? Do you really that's believe That's my that? guess, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, interesting. Do you think that's what's happening? Uh, something's up. Why would Carlos Slim sell it? I mean, it's a great propaganda machine, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's somebody's gonna, Somebody is going to, uh, he doesn't own it. Carlos Slim? I thought he, he owned it. No, he has a piece of it, maybe. I don't even know that he does. No, no, no these, it's, still, these, these it's guys, still owned by the family, the family, the Salzburgs. Well, these guys sell 900,000 papers a day. It's like, who gives a crap? They, they, their numbers, they don't, they, they look into the future and they, you know, they, and they're so good at this, by the way, because they've blown it left and right, but they, they, they don't like what they see. Anyway, I think it's time to, uh, before I play a funny clip that's off topic. You want to do that for you? Uh, you don't, you don't want to play, take a break. You don't want to play a little funny clip that's off topic. Well, so it's we can... actually going to. It's too long. I'm going to have to no. discuss it. All right, then be quiet. I'm going to show my support by donating to No Agenda. Imagine all the people who could do that. Oh yeah, that'd be fab. Okay, Jesse Wilson from Hobart, Indiana. We want to thank uh, Jesse for uh, uh, donating $111.11. One of the, we don't get that as much as we used to. Uh, just asking for some karma. You've got karma. 
Damien Taman in Perth, our favorite town, needs some anti-carjacking karma. By the way, Adam should start a Kickstarter page for his porn movie project. I believe this donation takes me over the line to become knight. Yes, you are. Can you send me the Shills email address so I can tell him the ring says it actually goes to meetsy at gmail.com. The Shill is building a house. He's not doing this anymore. And here's some anti-carjacking karma. And I'll also send that out to Mr. Oil, whose uh, car got jacked uh, this morning. Really? Yeah. You've got karma. Apparently they broke into his house, stole the car, uh, couldn't get it out of the driveway, crashed it, and lit it on fire. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's not good. No. No, it's not good. Oh, man. All right. Well, That's yeah. Gitmo Nation UK for you people. Wow. Sir Yaz in Linden, North Carolina, ninety nine ninety nine. Kindly provide. Let me find it. A, a a duck call to all the boners who don't slide, who don't like the slide whistle. Let me be clear. Why? Because ah, I think he was just to send him one. Uh, now I don't know. I don't have a note on this, and if you might want it, but it's I and a name I can't pronounce in a million years. I can't pronounce the the, the name H J M. I don't think. I think that's uh, initials. That's not a name. Okay, well, it's eighty nine ninety eight. It's HJM von Felsen. That would be his last name, von Felsen. Von Felsen. Okay, von Felsen. Uh, Dean Bertram, Sir Dean Bertram, to you in Accra. Uh, hi guys, thought I'd better vote. Long live the slide whistle, Sir Dean seventy seven seventy seven. Also seventy seven seventy seven from Keith Edwards, Sir Keith Edwards. Again, another night that's coming uh, back. Gilbert, Arizona, save the slide whistle and keep up the great work, Richard, Sir Rick. Haskins in Stevens City, City. Virginia, Virginia, 7171. I'm up in the ante on the 6969 to 7171. It's a George Carlin reference that I refuse to explain. I think it's because he died when he was 71. You can either get it or you don't. Uh, now, here's the interesting story because he, he should, if he didn't come, he almost came out in 6969. Now, Andrew Lemisani came in at Colorado Springs, from Colorado Springs, Colorado, to keep up the trend. 69.69, but he did it one minute after midnight. So it was just a fluke that I caught it. Uh, so it doesn't. It actually, technically, the the our streak is well, busted. It's on here. So we're and I see. But what was weird is that Carrie Shun came in with her new donation, and she didn't. And she's the one who triggered the 69.69 mania. I thought it was weird that she'd come in, and then the 69.69 stopped. Hmm. So I thought it was like some sort of weird confluence. Conspiracy. Of some sort. But I'm, I'm going to assume that she didn't do it to jinx it. And, I'm, and so he gets the credit for the 6969. He, he also needs a train's good, plane's bad uh, play because he thinks it's hilarious. All aboard, train's good, plane's bad. Uh, Nicholas Nicholas Omen in Thief River Falls, Minnesota, 6257, writing this email because my donation PayPal managed not to let me add a comment to the donation. We got it in any way. Holds, holds no significance, the number 57. Besides, ending the ending number which just came at random. So he's not really voting for the slide whistle. I want to thank you guys for your great show. Even if Adam spends time ranting about Congress having an act, having a section in the NDAA for 2013, which just quotes the writ of habeas corpus constitution saying it's right, they didn't alter it. I know what he's talking about. You have to explain. Keep up the great show. I think you have a good balance of slide whistle. 
I did ask for relationship karma the last time I donated. I think someone else stole it from me <laughs> since I didn't seem to help me out. We have a karma jacking. Oh, no. Oh, let me give you some new car- relationship karma then. You've got karma. Yeah, everyone's a constitutional lawyer, you see. Everyone knows exactly how it works. Greg Steerly, 5555. Kyle Kinzel, Green Bay, Wisconsin, home of the Packers, 5517. Please tell all the boners out there to nut up and donate. <laughs> Those douchebags. Douchebag. Slide whistle to a MIDI is the mu- future of music. <laughs> Slide whistle to MIDI is the future of music. Now all you guys need is a theremin and a, a quika, and you'll be a complete crackpot in the morning band. Keep what's up a, the good work. What's a quika? I don't know. I'll we'll have to look it up. It's probably what that thing that's, that you spin and it makes that funny sound, I'm thinking. There's a couple. I still have a couple of instruments I'm missing from the collection. Oh, no. A quika is uh, it's like a drum. Oh, it is? Yeah, here I have a little uh, a quika soundtrack. Let's see. Uh, what does the quika sound? I don't know if we want a quika. That may not be Wait. for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we want that. We need one of those. Yeah. Yeah, that kicks ass. I don't know where you'd even get I, I would go to the music stores and look for this stuff, and I'd, I've never seen a quika. I like, I like the idea of a quika. <laughs> now, and that's not annoying. No, not at all. Timothy McCoy from Louisville, fifty-three, fifty-three. Uh, promised last weekend to get drunk, and I'm drunk again as a first-time donor, but a long-time listener. Could you please de-douche me? It doesn't sound drunk. No. Even if I read it drunk, it doesn't sound drunk. About try. Sorry, Jared Adam. <laughs> promised this weekend to get to drunk. I'm drunk again. And as a first-time donor, but long-time listener, could you please de-douche me and send me some karma? Keep up the fantastic work and bring back the formula. <laughs> Did we lose the formula somewhere? I don't know what formula he's talking about. <laughs> You've been de-douched. You've got karma. <laughs> we'll take it. Finally, uh, in this, it was actually short again today. We yeah. need really these people to, to yeah. listen to the show and uh, help us. Uh, Chris Bullock in Madisonville, Louisiana. I felt compelled to donate. Why? Because on the last show, 409, some key no agenda terms were mentioned. HEMA underwear and PG tips. <laughs> Longtime listeners have heard these before, and if they are not donating at a minimum of $5 a month, then they are douchebags. Douchebag. He'd like to get a sciences in and a karma shout out for all the pro marijuana legislation going on in Gitmo Nation. All right. The science is in. You've got karma. That kind of work. And Chris is in New Orleans, he says. New Orleans. He's moved up. New Orleans. But that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's all we got. That's all we got. We've got no more. Crap. Well, I, w- I do want to thank all of our $33 a month subscribers, our 12-12ers, our 11-11ers, our $5, and I we have some $4. $4 a week people, which I think is a, really a target. And let me give a shout out to Mike Olson, still doing uh, $2 a month. Mike must have been <laughs> around for a long time. We had that. We only had that available for a while, and it's like, wow. And it's amazing that he hasn't been booted by PayPal by now. Yeah, really. He must be keeping his credit card current. I have a make good here. Aaron uh, Yoho writes, Dear Mr. Dvorak, you may have forgotten Mike Ross's karma. However, I just listened to episode 409er and heard Adam play Damien's formulaic soliloquy. Classic. Anyway, my apologies for the previous message if I sounded aggrieved. 
I know you have dozens of listeners. <clears throat> That's right. Dozens. Yes, we do. We have dozens. Dozens. And probably receive one to three emails a day. <laughs> if you got around to giving Mike his karma, that would be great. He's a good guy and talks incessantly about your show, and he's quite possibly the sole reason why you have such a large contingencies of donors in Morgantown, West Virginia. Motown! You've got karma. Motown. So Morgantown, West Virginia is the place we should go. No, you do not. West Virginia. You do not need to go to Morgantown, West Virginia. Why? There's nothing going on. You got a DQ, a Dairy Queen. And I remember going to the radio station. It was an AM top 40 radio station. The FM was like an automated reel-to-reel station. And that was it. No, you do do not need to go to Morgantown. Really? Now I'm I'm curious. No, 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 no. Hey, we we don't have any birthdays today. Is that right? Yeah, that's weird. No. We have a bunch of knightings. Yes, we do. Let's, uh, can you pull out your uh, NATO sword for a second? Yeah, here it comes. There you go. And I'll, uh, <clears throat> what was that? Hello, Kettle. This is the pot calling. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. Uh, the finger slid. I was trying to get my uh, ninja star. And there we go. Okay. Carrie Schoen, Damien Taman. And Don, Dan Gear, please step forward. Nice to see uh, a dame in the mix here. This is very nice. And uh, two knights. Thank you so much for your donations, whether you've done them yourself or they've been done in your name. And the amount of $1,000 to the No Agenda Show, the best podcast in the universe. I hereby knight thee, Dame Carrie Schoen, Sir Damien Taman, and Sir Dan, better known as Sir Daft, knight of the No Agenda Roundtable and Dame. Hookers and blow, rent boys, Chardonnay, hot pants and booze, and wenches and beer here for you. You're going to three. Oh, sorry. I meant three. It was two nightings and one daming. Oh, okay. Two nightings one and one daming. daming. And uh, so you Good. all... They're, they're, they're all welcome. Yes, and you will all receive the coveted No Agenda night ring, uh, which will be ending at the uh, at the end of this year. Uh, at, right after the Olympic bombing, I guess, is when, uh, when it'll end. And uh, uh, predicted bombing by the Rockefeller Foundation. Well, that's usually a pretty good source. And if you're looking for bad crap to happen, I'd say it would be there. And what would they come up with this crazy number? The 13,000? Oh, I'm sure it's all symbolic. The whole thing is one big Illuminati satanic fest. Dvorak.org slash N-A. I had to read through that whole thing, you know. Yeah, this is, this is a lot. This is oh uh, yeah, but this is the kind of thing you that that is I do thrive. Joy reading. Yeah, I was like actually the legislation. I I got it last night at like quarter to twelve. I'm like, uh, honey, why don't you go to bed because uh, it's going to be a while. <laughs> I I gotta read it. I can't help myself. Just love it. Just love it. Hey, dude, dude, we, dude. We had the G8 happening there at uh, Camp David's. And uh, boy, does that, when you did you see the picture of those douche knuckles and them standing there in the grass waving like this is really this is the new world order. It kind of gave me hope. These <laughs> these idiots can't run anything. They can't run a blender. But uh, President Obama said something very interesting at the kickoff of this meeting. First of all, I want to welcome all the leaders here. Uh, the press, you're welcome as long as you don't break anything. <laughs> He's so funny. Um, this is, by the way, the largest gathering uh, ever of uh, international leaders at Camp David. Uh, and I'm glad that we could arrange for good weather. Oh. 
Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. He arranged for good weather. Did you just put in a little call to your client, yeah. your climate change guys? Hey, boys, turn on the harp. I need some good weather. We could arrange for good weather. Ooh, good weather. Good weather. Let's. Uh, got another thirty seconds of important information here. Uh, we had a discussion about Syria, uh-huh. and uh, we all believe that uh, a peaceful resolution and political transition in Syria is preferable. So there you go. That just in case you missed it, preferable to what? <laughs> to the to killing people with bombs and predator drones. But he's talking about a peaceful transition. So he's talking. He's not talking about Assad stopping killing people, as he purports. He's saying we got to get him out. So we, we're all in agreement. Okay, so this is the same, the same exact script as right? Libya. And so Assad now has X number of days, and he won't do it because the same script also indicates the guys that you know the, the, the leaders aren't aren't buying into it. Yeah, no, uh, he would give the same opportunity they gave to Mubarak, the same opportunity they gave to uh, the dead guy in uh, Libya, Gaddafi. Gaddafi, yeah. Uh, which is you will set you up in Switzerland or something if you want to give up now. Yeah, or do a deal with us, get out, and or we'll, you'll be fine, you'll be good to go. Yeah. Or that, or that, or you get, yeah, you're dead. One of the two, it's up to you. Let's see what else they discuss here. This morning, we're going to be spending a lot of time on uh, economic issues. Uh, obviously, uh, the Eurozone will be one topic. Uh, now, listen very closely. Uh, and uh, all of us uh, are absolutely committed uh, to making sure that uh, both growth and stability uh, and fiscal consolidation are part of a overall package that all of us have to pursue. Wait a minute. Growth and stability are part of an overall package that all of us have to pursue. Who's we, Kimosabe? Do we? Are we now? A- My understanding is is that the Federal Reserve has said no to ha- to, to giving any assistance to the central banks of Europe. Well, I think Obama just said that we all have to be a part of that. It sounded well, maybe to we me could be, maybe as uh, as uh, cheerleaders. I don't know what. Well, here's the cheerleaders aren't in the game. So Haiku Herman, who by the way was wearing a very nice uh, pink sweater, a jumper, we call it pink sweater over a pink? shirt, pink. Yes. Really? Yeah. Look at the pictures. Pink. Wow. Yeah. Um, he had his own little press conference, and he is very very clear. Um. And the way, I, from all the information I've received, it looks like Greece is is just over. He's going to say a couple of things that are just astounding to me. These guys really don't want Greece to exit. They really don't because they know it's going to collapse the banks. And I and I think from everything I've read, and I'd love to hear your opinion. If Greece goes, it will collapse at least a portion of the banking system. What's your thought? Well, the numbers that keep coming in that people do the calculation on the Greeks leaving the EU or the the eurozone, the you know, which is the zone of people that use the euro. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a, is it's a, a trillion. Zone. Yeah, trillion. So they have yeah. seven. Now, whether that would collapse the whole thing? Well, they, well seems no, doubtful. Well, no one has it. This is the problem. They've got to keep this going until July 11th because July 11th is when the European stability mechanism uh, goes into effect. And there's no discussion about this. Now, I, 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 Is that when the Germans take over? No, the European Stability Mechanism, which I re- remember, I read the documents, and they, it was supposed to go in in 2015. They moved it up uh, to 2000, maybe it was 2013, but they moved it up to July and said, uh, we got to put this in now. 
It's an initial 700 billion euros from every country. I think the Netherlands themselves have to pay 40 billion into this fund, which is their entire GDP, 40 billion. It's not their GDP. It's the, it's the entire number they collect from taxes is 40 billion. Um, but it's open-ended. So whenever there's a cash call, whenever they need more money, then Brussels just said, uh, time to pay up. And everyone has to pay. Otherwise, you know, you get the troika on your butt. So I think they're going to keep it going till July. I don't know how. But listen to what Haiku says. We are listening, of course, to the Greek people. But we have to respect the engagements taken in the past. And we have the Greek democracy. But we have also democracies of the other countries, the 16 other countries. And they are engaging also taxpayers' money. Ah, you hear that? They are engaging taxpayers' money. So Greeks, <clears throat> he's literally shaking the finger at the Greeks saying, if, you don't, if you're not on board, 16 other countries will hate you because you're messing with their tax money. This isn't about the banks going down, no, no. Then the other slaves will have to pay for what you don't do, Greece. And so it's a balance. It's a balance. And I think uh, after reflection, uh, everybody has to take his responsibilities. Uh, Greeks, you better take your responsibility. <laughs> after after yeah. reflection, yeah, after, if you just think you, about think it. Think about it. You better, you better play along. Um, but if needed, and I repeat what I said, if needed, we will do whatever to guarantee the financial stability of the Eurozone. Whoa. That sounds threatening to me. We will do whatever is needed to guarantee the stability of the financial zone. So the eurozone. So yeah. we did it in the past, in difficult. In yes, in World War Two, difficult circumstances, <laughs> and we will. Do World War One. Do it in the if needed, in the future. We will do it again. For the rest, if we are thinking at different scenarios, uh, we are responsible people. And we will take our responsibilities at the right time. That sounds threatening to me. Yeah. To me, that's like, whoa, really? He's not messing around. He's not messing around. Uh, meanwhile, they, they in, made their bed. <laughs> meanwhile, in Greece, uh, the Nazis are in. <laughs> I was not aware of this. The uh, what are they called? I think they're called the golden Nazis. <laughs> I think they're called the golden dawn. Yeah, let's listen to the report. The city of Athens is the birthplace of democracy, but it's also home to a right-wing extremist group that just got voted into parliament. Out, out of my country. The Golden Dawn Party vows to kick immigrants out of the country, thinks Greeks are superior, and denies the Holocaust took place. They gained 21 government seats at a time when the country is bankrupt, and people are desperate for radical change. So wait a minute. So now we got these guys in who are saying, get out of my country, you immigrant. Get out of my country. If we have the chance to rule this country, the great majority of all these illegal immigrants are going to leave next morning alone. <laughs> so let me, uh, so let me, let me uh, get this straight. So they have illegal or they have immigrants uh -huh. and they yell at them, get out of my country in English. Yeah, if the press is there, they do. 
So they don't they, uh, even press or no press. I mean, what they they just have a special group coming in just for our media so they can listen to the guy yelling in English. Duh. Meanwhile, the immigrants going, what is he saying? I can't understand this language. <laughs> Abdul, what is he saying? I don't understand. Well, we won't have you listen to, this. to do nothing. Maybe the fear. <laughs> they won't have to do nothing. Maybe the fear will get them out. They fear you. Yeah. yeah. Some Greeks say immigrants are scared and have already started leaving. They beat them up and the next day nobody was here. I don't know why. <laughs> That's from Sicily. <laughs> I love it though. They uh, beat them up and the next day they weren't here. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> maybe because they didn't want to be beat up. <laughs> this is bad. This is oh no, it's beyond bad, Judd. This is exactly what happened in Nazi Germany. Is you know you blame it on one section of the of the population. Hey, it's, it's the, the damn immigrants. Well, that's not true. It's the bankers and the whole semen scandal and Goldman Sachs setting you know cooking the books. And nowhere are we hearing anything about the whole odious debt option. You know that's just not on the table anywhere. No, where the you know someone has to stand up there. Where is the great Greek leader? Who can hold the Olympic torch and say, hey, screw this. Odious debt. We're not paying it. Yeah. Oh, when it happens in America, I'm doing it. It, it may be the last thing I do, but I'm doing it. I'm definitely going to say odious debt. Bunch of crooks. Just a bunch of crooks. So it does not look good, but I think they have to keep Greece going at least until July 11th, until the ESA. Well, they've done it. For, this has been going on for two years. Yeah, if we're, yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't stop. Yeah, no, it doesn't stop. And they stop. have been, in fact, Horowitz and I talk about it on the DH Unplugged show, which is how long, because there's all these, this is the deadline. Yeah. We've heard this for like over a year. Deadline is this Monday. Yeah. Nothing. It goes on. They've extended the deadline. The deadline is on Thursday. The, the, no deadline. And this has been going on and on and on. And they should, if they can't carry it to July, I mean, what have they been stalling for? I mean, this is going to be a no-brainer. There'll be a lot of riots and, you know, things like that. But it'll, they, they could probably stall for another year. No, I think that they're, gonna, they're really going to stop it at uh, July. Once the ESM is in place, because he's saying it right there. He's saying. Well, that's probably true. Yeah, we take we'll it see. from all the other taxpayers and the, everyone's going to hate you. And uh, it's good. This good. The war is coming. It's so clear to me, and I feel really not so good about everything. I mean, we laugh about it. Anyway, if you're listening to the program now, at least you'll have something to talk about at the office party. So yeah. I ran into an interesting uh, little tidbit, and it just cracked me up. You remember, uh, you know, the situation in Honduras, which has actually gone back to the Iran Contra affair. Yeah, sure. Which was trading drugs for guns, and yes. it was a. It yeah. was during the uh, Reagan administration, when, of course, Reagan didn't remember any of it. No. And the whole thing was like Hon Honduras at the time was, uh, you know, they had the Contras, and they were gonna, and they were, and they had this these kind of socialist government. They had to get them out. Why? Because, why? 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 Well, because we apparently. Uh, even though it hasn't really been brought to the fore, we need Honduras as a as an ally that's kind of under our control because they picked up the slack where Panama used to run all the drugs through, for the agency. Mm -hmm. Now they uh, they moved it to Honduras during this period, and that and that was revealed in a long series of articles in the San Jose Mercury News how the CIA was running drugs through Honduras, and then they the reporters were all fired. You can look this up on these guys. They were all fired and, and died broke 
Yeah, because two to the and head. And then, of course, somebody came out like years later from the from Knight Ritter, who, who fired these writers who 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 blew the lid off the Iran Contra thing and the drugs, and said, uh, "Oh, we were so sorry because you know that it turns out they were right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Did them a lot of good. Yeah. So anyway, so now uh, there's this this. So I'm not. I'm laughing, and I and there is a follow up to this uh, clip. I'm laughing when I hear this clip from Democracy Now! discussing the, uh, the Honduras again. Dana Frank, uh, Honduras is the second most poorest country in the Western Hemisphere after Haiti. How do you, now suddenly we're being told that it has become the major transshipment point uh, for drugs uh, into Mexico and the United States. Could you, uh, this is a recent phenomenon. Could you talk about this, what's happening with the drug war in Honduras in the context of the political pr- uh, troubles and the coup that occurred in Honduras a few years back? Well, you know, there's been drug trafficking in Honduras for, for a long, long time. But it was the, the 2009 coup. It, we're coming up on the third anniversary on June 28th. It was the 2009 coup that opened the door for this kind of massive drug trafficking. And, you know, and it's really important to know that the, that the drug trafficking is interlaced with the post-coup government of Porfirio Pepe Lobo from top to bottom. Even the Minister of Defense has talked about the so-called narco-Congress people, the narco-judges. It's a totally corrupt regime from top to bottom. Now, of course, but it's actually our regime. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to now here's the part that they leave out. For one thing, this guy, this this guy on democracy now says it's a recent phenomenon. Does he never heard of Iran-Contra? Yeah. The left was all over it. And this guy, I guess, forgot. OK, so let's forget that. But my favorite thing is the guy they never talk about this. But this guy, Manuel Zelaya, who was the, the guy in 2009, they took out of his. If you read it in the Wikipedia, it goes. The vote on the referendum, this is because of a big controversy about the changing some of the Constitution. In the early morning that day, the army arrested Zelaya at his home. Zelaya was held in a U.S. air base outside Tegucigalpa before being forcibly sent to San Jose, Costa Rica. Now, now this is the, the humor in this is left out of the, uh, of the wiki article because what actually happened, and this is obviously an American operation, the guy was picked up at his because I, I heard this guy Zelaya talk he's in the United States he was in the United States giving some some lectures and he was on C-SPAN and I think we may have even played the clip of it because it's so funny the guy was sleeping at home and the army busts in grabs him in his pajamas uh-huh. throws him in a plane and they drop they take him to a transshipment point talking about transshipping to, to this U.S. air base where he is then dropped off at the air base. The Americans apparently grab him still in his no, you know, barefoot in his in his in his in his, this way. He PJs. In his PJs, put him in another plane and then send him to San Jose, Costa Rica, land at the airport, throw him out of the plane, literally in his in his PJs onto the tarmac and take off and leave him there. <laughs> And the guy says, I'm standing in the middle of the Costa Rica airport in my underwear <laughs> and nobody will say anything to me. <laughs> Except, uh, <clears throat> really, that's all you got? You're, you're through, he said. No, what it, the point is, is that this, the whole trend, this drug thing, I mean, every time it, the drug thing comes up, it's amazing to me how the democracy now folks and all the rest of us are so flabbergasted by this. Why aren't we doing something? We're not doing anything because we are the drug dealers. Yeah, in fact, uh, I got a report here. Uh, a massive spike in the price of opium uh, for the poppy crops, which, of course, we're protecting in Afghanistan. Uh, I have some numbers now. Uh, 
Uh, it used to sell for $165 per kilogram. Now fetches $400 per kilogram. And this is because they, they tightened the supply first and then they boosted it up. It's, no, it's still nowhere near um, the levels that it was, but uh, yeah, we're, we're controlling the supply nicely. Yeah, well, if you get a monopoly, you can do a lot yeah. of damage. Yeah. And then you go and also get a bunch of people hooked. I mean, you know, we've we talked about this incessantly, and we talked about how the Russians are irked about it. And uh, who knows, you know, where it's headed. But we're not leaving Afghanistan anytime soon. No. Oh, yeah, 2024. And we're not leaving Iraq either. Did you uh, hear? This is what uh, the president sent a little memo to Congress. To the Congress of the United States. Section 202D of the National Emergencies Act provides for the automatic termination of a national emergency unless within 90 days prior to the anniversary date of its declaration, the President publishes in the Federal Register and transmits to the Congress a notice stating that the emergency is to continue in effect beyond the anniversary date. In accordance with this provision, I have sent the enclosed notice to the Federal Register for publication continuing the national emergency with respect to the stabilization of Iraq. I, I thought the war was over. Uh, at least he pronounced it right. Yeah. I thought the war was over, though. I thought, I thought it was done. Done deal. It was. No, we're not there. No, we're not. There's nothing to see. Nothing this notice on. states that the national emergency with... And listen to what he's extending, though. ...respect to the stabiliza- stabilization of Iraq declared in Executive Order 13303 of May 22, 2003... Bush. ...as modified in scope and relied upon for additional steps taken in Executive Order 13315 of August 28, 2003... Bush. Executive Order 13350 of July 29, 2004... Bush. Executive Order 13360 of November 29, 2004... Bush. ...and Executive Order 13438 of July 17, 2007... ...is to Bush. continue in effect beyond May 22nd, 2012. He's extending all of Bush's executive orders. You know, that's what somebody told me once. You know, I said, well, I think I'm going to vote for uh, McCain. And they said to me, if you vote for McCain, all we're going to get is George Bush number two. Yeah. So I voted for McCain, and indeed, we got George <laughs> Bush number two. The guy was right. Yeah, good job. <laughs> good job. Good job. I also found out something about Bahrain. I heard a theory, uh, and I haven't vetted this guy. Um, he's a he's a journalist. He has a theory that the whole Bahrain situation, which we have we've had our eye on. Now Bahrain is kind of a small country, but it is conveniently located right across from uh, Iran, and of course we have that entire block of Saudi Iran. You mean Iran? Sorry, Ir- Iran. We had that entire, you know, that entire block is uh, Saudi Arabia and everything. And what he says, and I'll actually play this clip. Uh, he says the reason why we're not, you know, no fly zone or anything is they're trying to create a United States of Saudi Arabia. So we'll have the United States of America, United States of Europe, United States of the Middle East. And this entire, the entire point of squashing Bahrain into Saudi Arabia is to have a one block, one front, so we can go and crush uh, Iran. Listen to this. And, you know, we have to ask why what's in it for Saudi Arabia. 
And in answering that, it's, it's, it's crucial to remember Saudi Arabia doesn't have an independent foreign policy and never has done. Its foreign policy, like those of the other Gulf states, is formulated in Washington and London. So we really have to ask when we think, well, what's, why is Saudi Arabia doing this? We have to ask, well, why are the colonial powers, Britain and France, and of course now the US, why are they pursuing this course? And I think we have to understand this in terms of preparations which have been underway for several years now for an aerial strike against Iran, and which is still on the, uh, on the table. The crushing of the Bahraini uh, resistance is crucial to the war plans against Iran, because what's the biggest deterrent to an attack on Iran is, of course, the fear amongst the Western elites and Israel that actually the Shia population in other countries will rise up um, and come and, and, and start to resist that attack on Iran. So actually, what's the, the crushing of the Bahraini revolution is all to do with trying to preemptively um, destroy any potential resistance to the coming attack on Iran. So, of course, a, a majority democracy, which the, the Western elites, of course, are forever banging on about, is actually the last thing they want in Bahrain because that means a Shia-dominated government. They're going all out to try and prevent Iran's current ally in Syria. They're trying to destroy that, going all out to destroy that. So the last thing they want is a, Democrat, a democratically uh, elected Shia government in Bahrain because that could um, cause severe problems when they uh, try to attack Iran. So, so this, the only thing that makes me think this could be disinformation is because he's not using the code. He's saying Iran instead of, instead of Iran. So he may not he's actually Iran. Isn't Iran, he? yeah, he's he doesn't sound like he's in the loop when he talks that way. So I don't think he doesn't get a hundred percent credibility. Although I do like the theory. Well, I agree with the theory about. I, I think the basic part of the Bahrainians are they're in the they're in the pocket of the Western uh, us, mm-hmm. and uh, they they don't want them to become part of the. And they're not on the list. Bahrain was never listed on that Wesley Clark list. No. Um, so it's, they have to be stable. I think some of it may be a little far-fetched, but it's, you never know. I mean, it's possible. The whole thing's possible. To um, wind it up here, I have a couple of New World Order things, and we kind of started the show off talking about that. Uh, do, you, of course, are the only one here licensed to practice as a constitutional lawyer. How does the supremacy clause work in the Constitution? Are you familiar with the supremacy clause? You know, every time it comes up, I have to look it up again. Article 6, Clause 2 of the United States Constitution, known as the supremacy clause, establishes the U.S. Constitution, U.S. treaties, and laws made pursuant to the U.S. Constitution shall be, quote, the supreme law of the land. The text decrees there to be the highest form of law in the U.S. legal system and mandates that all state and uh, judges must follow federal law when a conflict arises between federal law and either state constitution or state law of, or the law of any state. Uh, but in this case, the supremacy, clause, the supremacy clause is the most important guarantor of national union. It assures the constitution and federal laws and treaties take precedence over state laws and binds all judges to adhere to that principle. But when it comes to treaties, from the way it's been explained to me, which may be incorrect, If the United States enters into a treaty, such as a treaty with NATO, then that would thus become the law of the land under the Supremacy Clause. Does that sound right? That's one argument that I've heard. Okay. I don't know if it sounds right, but I've heard it a lot. Next month, the 
often on this program discussed, never seen on television news, Law of the Sea Treaty, better known as Lost, will come before the Senate to be ratified. And let me, let me explain the Law of the Sea Treaty. The Law of the Sea Treaty will essentially put a United Nations organization in control of all water 200 miles off the continental shelf of any country. Now, a lot goes on 200 miles out, particularly uh, oil and gas drilling and shipping. Magnesium and manganese. And shipping. But as a part of this treaty, and I have read the treaty, I'm not going to go into it now because we don't have that much time. As a part of this treaty, um, we will have to pay an extra royalty to this UN body over any oil and gas that is uh, uh, brought out of the seabed, out of the sea bottom. And remember, this is the, uh, the United Nations organization that is housed in Kingston, Jamaica, of all places. Former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton warns us, quoting, The law of the sea treaty is even more dangerous now than when President Ronald Reagan rejected it. <clears throat> With China emerging as a major power, ratifying the treaty now would encourage the Sino-American strife, constrain U.S. naval activities, and do nothing to resolve China's expansive maritime territorial claims. Uh, Bolton warns Lost will give China the excuse to deny U.S. access to what China claims is its exclusive economic zone, extending 200 miles out into international waters. And, of course, the big deal in the Mediterranean with the Leviathan gas fields. So it's essentially handing over uh, the rights of the sea to the United Nations, i.e. the New World Order. And Leon Panetta, douchebag extraordinaire, and you can and the, the, they have a they have a website. Um, let me just give you the website you can look at, John. Um, hold on. Er, the Atlantic Council. Ooh, the Atlantic Council. Yes, the Atlantic Council, which you can find at acus.org, promotes constructive U.S. leadership and engagement in international affairs based on the central role of the Atlantic community in meeting the international challenges of the 21st century. The council embodies a nonpartisan network of leaders who aim to bring together ideas and, uh, to power and give power to, idea, <coughs> power to ideas. And this is the big drinking club. This is all NATO UN. And Panetta does a speech uh, just this past week at this Atlantic Council, and here's what he said. The time has come, the time has come for the United States to have a seat at the table. The time has come for the United States to fully assert its role as a global leader and to accede to this important treaty. It is the bedrock legal instrument mm. underpinning public order across the maritime domain. We are the only permanent member of the UN Security Council that is not a party to it. China, France, Russia, Britain, other countries, Germany, India, 161 countries, 161 countries have ratified this treaty and approved it. 
we are the only industrialized country in the world that has not approved it. This puts us at a distinct disadvantage, particularly when it comes to disputes over maritime rights and responsibilities. When we have to engage those 161 other nations, including several rising powers, which are already parties to that treaty. In years past, several Senate committees, they've, they've examined the convention, they've examined various elements in hearings, and earlier committee votes. Yeah, and Ronald Reagan outright rejected it, as did those other Senate panels and committees who were smart to reject it. Were approved by large bipartisan majorities. Hear that doublespeak. Yeah, they approved it by large bipartisan, but they didn't actually approve it because they never ratified it because they didn't like it. Accession also has the broad support among major U.S. industries. Ah, you mean oil and gas? Point. Oh, this really? Isn't, this isn't just something that's supported by the diplomatic community no. and the environmental community. This is supported by the business community. That's right. Oh, really? Yeah, government and business, the definition of fascism. Uh, corporatism, yes. Companies that uh, are dealing with offshore oil. Yeah, so that we have to pay them, uh, so we have to pay taxes to the United Nations over our gas and oil. This is what this is about. Dealing with offshore, offshore energy, uh, shipbuilding, uh, commercial shipping, ooh. communications companies, uh, on and on and on. On and on. Industries and on. that have to deal with our offshore resources. They need this treaty sure. to do business. Sure they, they do. They need this treaty to be able to do their business and to accomplish their goals. Because, oh, what you're telling me, what he's saying is that they've never done business before no, and they can't do business without this treaty, no, which has not existed. It doesn't they, work, they, no. So, so right now, they're not. what are they doing now? They're not shipping. Where's the logic here? Well, it's all about us paying taxes to the global banking syndicates. I can't see it any other way. This is a complete takeover of sovereignty. And we've always been smart. We've stayed out of it. And you know what's next? Next is going to be the International Criminal Court. We'll have to sign on to that. Uh, Panetta, actually, when he started this speech, he's a comedian. Did you know that? He's a freaking comedian. He makes a joke, and a douchebaggy joke, because he's there with Dempsey, his buddy, Marty, Marty Dempsey. And they joke about how huge the military-industrial complex is. And he makes a joke. And even, wasn't Eisenhower the one that warned us against the uh, yeah, military? Yeah, it was bad. Listen to, he uses that as in, in a joke. State Senate. Good afternoon. Uh, and it's a pleasure to be able to, to be here with uh, Marty Dempsey. Marty. Uh, Marty. My pal. My pal. Uh, over there and uh, running the uh, Department of Defense. Over there running the Department of Defense. You know, we, we run that little outfit there. And, and you don't have to worry. That, that place is so damn big, and there are so many people that they don't even know we're here. Eisenhower said it was such a huge, complex building that you could walk in a major and come out a general. <laughs> he said it because he thought it was disgusting, you a-hole. And then he'll take it one step further. And I think it was, David Brinkley had another good one. He said uh, <laughs> there was a lady who went up to a guard in the, in the Pentagon and said, uh, Sir, can you help me? I'm pregnant and I'm about to deliver a baby. And the guard said, Ma'am, 
you should not come into this building in that condition. And she said, when I came into this building, I wasn't in that condition. <laughs> That's how the elites laugh behind your back. That's Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so let me give you just one more, uh, one more treaty that we'll be signing on to. Are you familiar with the Rights of the Child Treaty? Uh, no, nope. but I will be shortly. You will be. This is being pushed by uh, Barbara Boxer, senator from uh, California. Oh, yeah, I saw her yakking on about this on C-SPAN. Okay. So let me give you it. So this is a treaty. It's the it's, uh, it's another United Nations thing. Yeah, but remember now, it's rights. Why don't we rights. just turn over, give up and give give the United, let, the, let the, that, that character who runs the United Nations. Just, Bunky? Bunky, like Bunky Moon, let him run the, let him run our country. Well, that's what's going to happen. Here are some highlights from the Rights of the Child Treaty. It bans, and we'll be, under the Supremacy Clause, we will have to adhere to this. It bans spanking or any form of corporal punishment of children. So you're not be Really? Allowed, yeah. You will not be allowed to spank your child. Article 12 of the treaty reads... When adults are making decisions which affect children, children have the right to say what they think should happen and have their opinion taken into account. <laughs> so if you want to have a divorce, you got to get permission from your kid. <laughs> you want to move to another country? Not if the kid says no. Worried uh, that your children are hanging out with a bad crowd? Article 15 guarantees children freedom of association. Children have the right to... This is... This is Hunger Games. Children have the right to meet together and join groups and organizations as long as they do not stop other people from enjoying their rights. And this is just... Gangs are okay. The treaty would stop states from trying... That's And where the United States is a state of the United Nations. Uh, stop states from trying children as adults and incarcerating them with adult inmates. It would require that even murderers in their teens be sent to child facilities rather than prison. So they can murder other kids. <laughs> yeah. Article 37 states, children should not be put in prison with adults. The treaty requires all signatory nations to provide children with adequate levels of food, clothing, housing, oops, sorry, uh, education, and medical care. You know, it's better just to get one of these bells. Yeah. In... Uh, in the UK, uh, you know, Cameron is, uh, I think they, there's already a lawsuit, because they've already signed on, they've ratified the rights of the child treaty, the Gitmo Nation East. He's facing a lawsuit for violating the rights of the child treaty by proposing a cut in welfare benefits. This is well, where, it yeah, begins. Yeah, this is where it leads. Yeah, we'll wait until the Irish get a hold of this. They're like, the, they're spankers. <laughs> no more spanking. And uh, I'm sorry, can I go out tonight? little johnny is it okay is that is that is that too big a decision can you just tell me please is it okay if i go out this is where it's headed this is the new, this is the new world order unfolding before our very eyes and who's behind this what idiot uh, senator boxer 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 all oh, right yeah the one with too much eye makeup but the law of the sea treaty that's a uh, lucifer clippity clops deal because she's on board with all the oil and gas companies, because they're they're the ones that are going to benefit from an extra vig, and that's why she's been pushing. We've been playing clip after clip for months of her talking about this. Finally, there it is next month, and 
how much you want to bet you're not going to hear anything about this on the news? It's just going to be, oh, yeah, we ratified that thing. Yeah, it was for the good of the country. Yes. Oh, it's all for the good. Good news today, ladies and gentlemen. The law of the sea trade has been ratified you. by the U.S. Congress. Yeah. And other news, <laughs> Britney Spears has gained weight. Mark Zuckerberg got married. Are you on Twit today? No. Okay, let me predict the conversation. I actually didn't want to go on Twit today because I, if I go on Twit more than three times in a row... It anno- there's something happens and then they I get I don't go on for a month. And people because you're annoying. No, people get John. tired of me. Yeah, I, I, I wear thin on Twit because I just basically saying that's bull crap. Yeah, that stinks. Yeah. That's stupid. Why are you thinking that way? That's Bullshit. crazy. You become annoying. Four weeks of that is too much. That's why we do the show only twice a week because you know there's only so much we can ha- handle from each other. Um, okay, I, I think I don't know if you know if we discussed it or not. Um, but, um, we can, and I, maybe I should listen to the Dvorak Horowitz on plug show. I think I can short this puppy at 17. What do you think? Which one? The Facebook stock. What do you mean short it at 17? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to short it. And at 17, I'll, uh, I'll sell my borrowed shares and, uh, I'll make a bundle. It's What's go- the, what? IE, I think it's going to go down to 17. Well, you, had, you mean you want to short it now? Yeah, you can't. I mean, next week sometime, I guess we can short it. Well, I don't know. You can always buy a put, I think, which would probably be a, have more leverage than a short. So you're already way above my head. Whatever it is, I'm just calling a number out that you can put in the red book. Okay, you think it's going to fall to 17? 17. Oh, yeah. Maybe not in one week, but it will fall to 17. And nice way to, to change the, the news cycle by getting married. Oh, man, what are we going to do? This thing, Appio blows, man. <laughs> zuck, 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 man. How about that, 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 don't you have like some Korean chick around? Give her a marry ruby. Her. Yeah, marry her. Hey. Oh, okay. hey. I know, I can already see the headline. Zuckerberg changes status to married. <laughs> yeah, that'll change the news cycle away from our crappy IPO. What a failure that was. Well, I was actually disappointed in the way it went. And, but the guys <laughs> what, you have stock? Horror, really took it in the short were the, um, the, the, the underwriters. The, the underwriters, because they, they had, had to, prop to support it up. that price. Yeah. They had to, they, and it, as long as they could, at least until the damn stock closed that day. Yeah, it kept and they falling probably should support it again on Monday and Tuesday, but I don't think I they're don't going think they to. I think they're going to say, look, we're losing our... We're, you, they lose a lot of money supporting this because yeah. they're going to be stuck with a lot of shares. Yeah. Well, I think they... Uh, didn't they um, pop the green shoe even just to support the shares? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, this was... Uh, and you know what? I actually, I feel very good. I, I wrote a blog post, uh, the title of it, Facebook is a Bug. And I'm, the more I think about it, John, the more I'm convinced they cannot, you know, they can do a lot of things, but the internet is just out of control. You cannot actually shut down the network anymore. The network sees Facebook with some centralization thing and just routes around it. We're routing around it. I don't use it. You don't use it. We're functioning just fine and everything seems to be working. I think the network just eliminates these things automatically. Every, every single time someone tries this, it fails. You, know, you got Apple with their iCloud. Oh, Miss Mickey is like, oh, my email doesn't work. I'm like, yeah, it's iCloud. It's all this, this, this centralization of stuff. It's, the network was never meant to function that way. Your view. I'm not going to argue the point. I, I, I don't know if the network is smart enough to... Uh, to uh 
have a desire of how to function, but I don't use any of these types of services. I mean, I do have a, a quasi-centralized email system run by the City Time. Yeah, but it's a small, uh, yeah, but it's a small outfit. The guy has a couple yeah, hundred clients. a small clients. outfit, yeah. and he refuses to honor yeah. subpoenas and all that kind of thing. He's a yeah. great guy. Yeah. Have you been Mark subpoenaed Rebell. for your email? <laughs> no, no, but he says he's made a claim that he, he, if anybody comes to him from any government agency for anything, he's just either going to erase everything or he's just going to tell them to pound salt. He's not, he refuses He's a libertarian to an extreme. So I think we all we all, he used to. He's the guy who put the EFF websites together. Oh right. Well, I I, I think good. And end of my article, I said um, at the end of the day, if if the if the government really could control what goes on the internet, we'd be paying taxes already. You know what I mean? Probably. So I just I don't, think they like to spy on it as much best they can. That's well, why they were asking for all these back doors. Yeah, no, the spying thing was, is cool. You know, can't you guys come up with something better than what have you given up that you have to, you know, beg for back doors because you can't do it the old fashioned way? No, we're, we're, it's all going to go back to decentralized. We'll have the small mom and pop ISPs providing a little bit of bandwidth. And yeah, it may suck. We may not have the 20 megabits down that we have anymore, but. I don't think they can. I don't think they can do it. And Facebook is a goner. Oh, what a stupid move! Well, we'll see. Morgan well, yeah, Stanley. Stupid move for all the millionaires and billionaires that walked <laughs> away with all the money. Ah, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I have no envy of that. I don't care. I just want to get by, live my American dream. Before we wrap, I want to f- play a few short items. Oh, I'm sorry. I had no idea. Um, let me stop. I got a couple of short items. I got some short news items I think we should play. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the, what are considered hot news on the BBC. I got four of them. Oh, oh my goodness, John. I'm so sorry. I, I had no idea. I'm not that paying you... attention. You got the list right there. Okay. Well, I sometimes... But you always you... like to do a bunch of raps at the end. You didn't do it today. So I'm going to do it. Okay. News item one. Yes. Now let's take a quick look at what's making front page news around the world. Those 12 zeros on the cover of The Guardian represent the estimated trillion dollar cost to the Eurozone of a disorderly Greek exit from the currency. <laughs> That's one. That's one. What is number you, two? News item number two. Queen Sophia is out. Oh. An escalating diplomatic row over Gibraltar has caused Spain's Queen Sophia to snub Queen Elizabeth's Diamond Jubilee lunch. The Daily Telegraph says the Spanish government told Queen Sophia to revoke her acceptance. I didn't want the bitch at lunch anyway. Get Stop the away. presses. Ooh, yes. This now, is here's important an actually stuff. an interesting one that I never heard until I watched this. News item three. Whites are now a minority of all births in the United States. The International Herald Tribune says census data being published today will show that for the first time, Hispanics, Blacks, Asians, and mixed-race births will total just over 50%. Can I just say something about this? I saw this. CNN said it differently this morning. Uh, they said minority... The, uh, <laughs> i got to get it right. The majority of children born are minorities. Uh, are you are you, are you yeah. insane? They, they it's are insane. They, it's not a minority. They're a majority, and we're all going to be brown. And by the way, they didn't specify. They didn't say. They just say minorities. What are minorities? American Indians? Uh, Anybody but white? Yeah, but we're the minority now. Yeah, so why don't you just say it? Uh, the majority of people are now brown. Beautiful. They don't have to get on tanning beds anymore. Jeez. And finally, this is a real showstopper, <laughs> something you, you really need to know. This is their top item, by the way. They've wrapped it with this, Ooh. item four. And the FT says Britain's struggling pig industry has struck a breakthrough trade deal 
with China to satisfy its insatiable appetite for pork. <laughs> pork, I tell you. What kind of an ar- ar- item is that? I don't know, man. I didn't hear uh, Law of the Sea Treaty. I didn't hear the Child uh, Rights yeah. Treaty. I didn't hear... The, chi- uh, the, the, the theme was the Chinese like to eat pork. Wow. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, good. Nice talking to you, John, as always. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, we'll have a, a bunch of people supporting us for the Thursday show. I'll uh, try to do some sort of a newsletter for uh, which I'll probably just discuss the uh, I'll do something interesting. People, they're, they're going to want to read this. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting. Remember that we have show notes for every single episode. Uh, they alone sometimes can be worth uh, the price of admission. Uh, today's show notes, 410.nashownotes.com. All the clips we played, uh, all the videos, all the stories, everything is in there. And uh, we provide those as a part of our continuing service here at the greatest podcast in the universe. That's an official, official award. Coming to you from the... From Camp Mofo here in the capital of the Drone Star State, Austin, Texas. In the morning, everybody, I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where I'm going to gallop off, I'm John C. Dvorak. <laughs> we'll talk to you again on Thursday, right here on No Agenda. Dvorak.org slash N-A